Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. There's only a couple guys in the whole world that make me love pro wrestling, and you're one of them. You know all the bad shit you've heard about us? It's all true. But another thing that's true is we love professional wrestling, and that's why we're here. I'm not sports entertainment anymore. Talk to him, kid. This is a new beginning, and it starts tonight. A new day is dawning for DX. Well, who you talking to? Hey there, Xbox 12360 fans. Thank you for coming to hang out with us today. We've got an action-packed show coming at you. My name is Christy Olson, and we're going to be breaking down the week's top pro wrestling news headlines. Plus, we have interviews with not one, but two champions. The grappler, Len Denton, will be joining us, as will Zach Gowan. It's going to be good, and the gang is all here. Please say hello to Jimbo over there on the couch. What up, everybody? How you doing, Christy? Hey. I'm good. I'm good now that you're here. Oh, stop. And Mark Donica's in the booth. Hey, what Mark. What do, everybody? How are you today? Not bad. How about yourself, Christy? I love it. I love it. I'm good because I'm about to tell you that I'm sitting next to the man, a legend, the one and only, Sean X-Pac Waltman. I really hate this. <laughs> I hate that. I, I mean, it's great and everything, but I hate the, um, I hate sitting here and being introduced like I'm this Big deal. I guess I am a big deal. Who are you, G? Your name's on the marquee, buddy. You know right. what? Now that I know you, it's I kind of forget that sometimes. Shit. Well, because you don't act like a big deal. <laughs> Maybe you should act uh, like a bigger deal, Sean. Throw some I, weight around once you know, in a while. You know, I've been told that. At, at certain times. Yeah. Maybe I need to, and at certain times, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to regret saying that later? We'll sh- we shall see. No, usually oh, I had to do it if I was, you know, on s- some miscellaneous substance or another, but that was then. Was but just, just coffee in the cup today. That's it. Coffee and water. Yeah. Agua. Love it. So. I love it. Well, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm great. Actually... That was just my stock answer. I was tired <laughs> as hell when I got here. <laughs> Tell us all about it, Sean. Yeah, no, I'm just tired. No. I was up last night finishing the Grappler book. Yes. Yeah. Memoirs of a Masked Madman. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of the Grappler uh, since he came through Florida when I was a kid. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was in really uh, fascinated with the boot, with the loaded boot. And... Uh, Actually, one day, uh, we'll get into that when we talk to Len. So, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we'll definitely be talking about the yeah. boot, the I mask. I have like 11 pages of notes <laughs> after reading that book because there's so many things I want to talk to him about. Wow. <laughs> All right, well, so there's your answer, people. If you look for this at 3 p.m., we weren't quite ready yet. We weren't done. And it's going to be, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to Zach as well. Yes, a um, lot a lot to catch up with Zach about, sure. I feel like. And, and much like somebody else, I know he's made a lot of changes in his life. Mm-hmm. Since the first time I met him, until 
now. When did mm-hmm. you first meet him? I, I don't know exactly what year it was, but I just I think it was probably right after he was let go from okay. from Vince because he was WWE. signed in two thousand three <clears throat> and released yeah. six months later. It said, mm-hmm. "Sure, okay." So. Well, I got to meet him right after that. I'm pretty sure. Despite the impression that I got, the first impression. <laughs> so. Oh, well, I can't wait to hear a little bit more about yeah. that. Zach will be joining us first, but first, we got to break it down. We're going to talk about some pro wrestling news headlines. Break it down! Xbox 12360 Wrestling News. Many sites reporting today that Jerry Lawler and Lita have been removed from regular programming, regular weekly shows on the network and on TV. Reportedly, both are have been moved from full-time deals to Legends contracts, although WWE has only confirmed that in Jerry Lawler's case, and they say that he will continue to host some special events, including the WWE's Hall of Fame celebration at WrestleMania. However, Lita's future is a little bit more up in the air. We weren't sure if she was even still with the company, Jim Ross tweeted this morning and said that he spoke directly to her and that according to Amy, she is no longer with the company. So this is a very, this happened very quickly, sort of seemed to come out of nowhere, although there are a lot of changes to the SmackDown, Raw, and pay-per-view pre-shows. This is just one of the many, but obviously kind of a kind of an earth-shaking one. Is it? I, I just, these type of things happen mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm just used to it happening. And, uh, you know, people get sad. The same thing happened with Jerry, uh, not Jerry Lawler, Durr. Jim Ross. Jim Ross, mm-hmm. yes, and people weren't happy. And, uh, you know, for for good reason, you know, especially me. I'm a huge Jim Ross fan but uh, and a huge Jerry the King Lawler fan. Mm-hmm. I, but I just, knowing the way they operate there and how they think, they, I, they just, I think they're just trying to, uh, you know, get fresh blood in there. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. You know, I I'm res- I think we're all when, when we get to liking something, you know, we're resistant to that changing. That's true. I, I think so. That's true. Uh, I, you know, it sucks for for the ones that are let go that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 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 going to I'm going to uh, say that they're going to figure out something for for Amy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I because I haven't heard it. You know, she doesn't have any heat. You know, I mean, I, 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 you know, you were mentioning yeah. some tweets about Matt so, Hardy. So what the, people what's that are, all about? People are speculating that Matt Hardy said a couple days ago that Vince McMahon is after him to bring him to WWE. And so people are speculating that maybe Lita being let go or having her duties diminished could have something to do with bringing Matt Hardy back. Hmm. I, do, do we really think Matt Hardy, after it's being well over a decade since mm-hmm. all that went down... Do we think Matt Hardy is still even concerned about that or still losing sleep over that home deal? I, I would hope not. I don't think so. I don't think he would be able to, uh, you know, where he's at in his life right now, I don't think he'd be able to get there if he was still, you know, losing That's a really sleep good over point. that. It yeah. just doesn't work that way. I don't believe it. I think it's just uh, a coincidence as far as that goes. Now, I will say this. Back when they let Earl Hebner go mm-hmm. for you know some some reason you know having to do with selling merchandise or you know maybe it, I, I don't know it was the accusation was like they were selling bootleg merchandise or something like that regardless uh, you know since Earl was a part of the Montreal screw job finish and uh, you know he was 
he was kind of, you know, promised a job for life after something like that. And then when he was let go, it was right around the same time they started talking to Bret Hart again. And, oh. you know, as silly as the the speculation that, you know, I think is silly about Matt Hardy and, and the, the Lita thing. I did go there when it came to Earl and, and Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. I did for that. Um, but, you know, that's who knows. It's no. all speculation. That's a whole right. other box but to open. My speculation is better than your speculation. <laughs> that's why well, you I, have a show. I think you're probably onto something there with them wanting to bring in fresh blood. They have started a thing with the pay-per-view panelists where they're bringing in a guest each week. Kind of a celebrity super fan. Peter Rosenberg was there for TLC uh, last on Sunday. So that's that's probably a little more feasible. Okay. Imagine that. <laughs> or maybe they're giving her time to brush up on her broadcasting skills. And come be. back, and I maybe really she'll have her like pre-shows. her own show on the network. Gee, what are you saying, Jimbo? She's not doing a very good job. Is that why they let her go? That's what you just said. Uh, possibly. I mean, wow. she could work on some Jimbo stuff. Jimbo just said that Amy Dumas didn't do a very good job. <laughs> Shit. That's, I, I how, what's her his on Twitter again? At Jimbo in the booth. Uh, Jimbo in the booth said that. Okay. I, I doubt she's sitting around tweeting today, but you never know. We'll keep you posted. Meanwhile, something <laughs> else that went down at TLC. AJ Styles, WWE World Champion AJ Styles, has suffered a reportedly minor injury. He came out on SmackDown last night wearing a boot. Now, this reportedly happened at TLC during his match. Dave Meltzer says when he did the springboard 450 to Ambrose through the table is is what did it. And um, when he came out last night and opened the show, he teased a little bit that he was maybe talking about this rip in his pants that yeah. happened at TLC <laughs> that was also making plenty of headlines. But he was referring to the injury, and James Ellsworth came out and mocked him a little bit. They had this great moment, but there is no reports as to when James Ellsworth will receive his title match against AJ now that AJ is out. Probably just for about a week he has been pulled from live events, but he says he'll be back soon, so we shall see. The boot is gnarly. Yeah. You know, that's what happens when you have doctors and, you know, trainers and wellness policies. They won't let you wrestle with a boot on like that. I wrestled with one of those just a couple. Well, I didn't wrestle in the ring with it. I took it off and I went to the ring. But now I, okay, look, all that was, anyways. I just, okay, when you're the world champion mm-hmm. and you want to stay there, maybe you need to reevaluate, you know, the risks you take, even, uh, even on a pay-per-view. Because okay, a TLC. Yes. Yeah. It's not a major pay per view to me. That's true. I guess I mean maybe that's a, not the right way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. But to me, if I'm going to you know pick and choose when I'm going to do something crazy, mm-hmm. it might be a SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, you know WrestleMania. Imagine that. But and and I get it. You know it's so ultra competitive. And, you know, guys are going out there and trying to top each other. And that's mm-hmm. just, and that's good for business, but it can be really detrimental to your personal business, you mm-hmm. know, as far as keeping yourself in the game. Yeah, you know, I think he's, they're probably concerned about keeping this feud with him and Ambrose and Ellsworth and the whole thing, keeping yeah. it fresh. So they really want, he wanted to make a big splash, no pun intended. Well, I, I just, you know, Something only ha- something only has legs so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a you know, people under- <laughs> pun intended. You know, if people understand the you know, you know. Anyways, 
I don't know if they can drag that on that much longer. Last night on SmackDown, Ambrose came out and gave um, gave the dirty deeds to Ellsworth because Ellsworth cost him that match yeah. at TLC. So there is a continuation of it, but I think a lot of people, people are, are getting tired of it. You know, all right, here, here's the thing. One, one of my dearest friends, he doesn't miss anything, you know, uh, and... When I, when I called him, well, I didn't call him. I don't call anyone. <laughs> when I texted him. <laughs> Imagine that. When I texted him and said, hey, you going to watch TLC's. Honestly, he told me because I've seen Ambrose and AJ a, a thousand times. Mm-hmm. That was what he said. And that's coming from the biggest wrestling fan walking the earth. Ooh, that, yeah. that's concerning. Yeah, I'm just, just being straight up honest about it. I really enjoyed this match. I think in this match, AJ gave them plenty of highlight reel stuff, which seems to be like his style when he wrestles on pay-per-views yeah. is he's just like, let me give you stuff that's going to live on forever. The 450, there were a ton of crazy bumps he took, which... Yes, it's great, but... Yeah. we're t- I mean, we got to look past that, that night, mm-hmm. you know, when we're... When we're... Like SmackDown yes. the, next, the next day so to speak mm-hmm. you know like when you can't you have an awesome match at the pay-per-view but then you can't wrestle for a week you can't have your big title rematch against james ellsworth then yeah. what good is you it know, for and that's and that's what they do that's part of the uh the same kind of the pattern that they use of the template okay if they have this match at the pay-per-view they're going to give it away for a free rematch on tv it's just like they i think they think they have to do it that way. How do you feel about pay-per-views every other week now? Ah, uh, whatever. Is whatever. it too much? I, is it? I not for so. me. I like to come here and break them down on the after show okay, afterwards. It's too much for you. It's not for you. So that's how it's going to be with people in general. For some people, it's going to be too much. For some people, it's not. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to watch. Okay. You have the network, and you know you can watch what you want and what you don't want. That's the cool thing about that. Ten mm-hmm. dollar. That's right. And there are uh, some other promotions to watch as well. Ten dollar. Like the very popular Ring of Honor, who DailyWrestlingNews.com is reporting that WWE has plans to raid Ring of Honor's roster. Uh, allegedly, a lot of the contracts, the ROH contracts, are up at the end of this month, December 31st. And WWE is planning to offer some of these guys a little pay increase. They're hoping to lure them away with some big money. We all know that Steve Carino, it has been confirmed that Steve yeah. Carino will be trading at the Performance Center starting in January when his deal is up with Ring of Honor. So people are putting the pieces together and saying you should probably expect some more Ring of Honor guys to end up at NXT. I have a pretty good idea who I don't expect. The Young Bucks. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. just re-signed. Resigned a multiple year deal yeah. with Ring of Honor. Very good for them. Very happy for those guys. They've been doing, I think they've been making the right decisions with their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to go up into the Young Bucks weeds, but... No, that's actually uh, part of my story. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, this tells me that Ring of Honor is doing something right. Oh, that's true. And it's just, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they're lower on the food chain. So, it's just going to happen. And, you know, Ring of Honor does that to other companies, too. Mm-hmm. You know, or promotions. So, it's just how it works. Um, they're, if they're doing good enough to keep their talent, then they're doing good enough to keep, the, uh, keep their talent, make them happy. 
and they'll they'll keep the ones that they really really want to keep. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. So, uh, Ring of Honor will be just fine. <laughs> they'll be just fine. I'm a big fan of them actually. I don't watch them that much, but uh, I I'm a big fan of the the promotion. Mm-hmm. So I just I think they're doing a better job than TNA. Do you think Great. that this might cause an issue with now having so many wrestlers and not spots to put them in or, like, matches to put them in or storylines? Where? Them? Well, like, right now, Roderick Strong is in NXT. Uh, he's from Ring of Honor. Are they going to, like, leave him in NXT for a while and let him marinate there while they bring up, like, guys like Samojo and Nakamura? And then if they bring in a whole other crop of Ring of Honor guys, like, where do the people in NXT go? Do they go to the main roster? What happens the to ones that are... the main roster? Okay. The ones that are ready to go up are going to go up. The ones that aren't are going to stay in NXT. And if they don't, you know, if business doesn't pick up for them, they're probably going to be let go. And mm-hmm. if, you know, I, I just, I guess And then they can go back to Ring of Honor or yeah, I'm sure a ton of other places. Or wherever. It's just the way of things. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I think many people would say that a talent raid did happen earlier this year. A lot of guys from New Japan Pro went over to WWE. Right. That's the cue for the fancy stuff. I'm trying to to make my cute segues here, but really, this is just about Cody Rhodes joining the Bullet Club. What? That's right. This is big, right? I knew you were going to like this one, Jimbo. So apparently, he is the next recruit to join the renegade New Japan faction. His heel turn at Ring of Honor's final battle show was actually executed to set up this whole Bullet Club debut, which will go down on December 10th at NJPW's World Tag League Finals. So look out for him there. You know, Styles, Carl Anderson, Doc Gallows left the Bullet Club earlier this year. And since then, they have added Tongaroa, Adam Cole, Adam Page, and Bone Soldier. So Cody will be joining those gentlemen. Okay, cool. That's awesome, right? Yeah, he, I don't think he needs it. I, I think he's doing phenomenal right now. Uh, but if, if I guess it works, right? It's probably you one know? of those bucket list things. Or I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. I, I, I just don't. So I, I'm a big fan of Cody's. I I definitely think for him, he made the right decision. That same decision for a lot of other people, I don't think would have been the right decision, but for him it was. Um, so good, Cody. Good luck with that. I really like this because when AJ Styles was running the Bullet Club, Kenny Omega was in the Bullet Club, and yeah. then he took uh, AJ's spot when AJ left. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, like... This will start something between Cody and Kenny, who could have amazing matches. So hopefully that will come from this. All right. We shall see. And I will keep you all posted because I am the chief correspondent and managing editor of AfterBuzz TV's Pro Wrestling News Division. And we are going to be right back with Zach Gowan. Stay tuned. What's up, party people? Roxy Stryer here from The Tomorrow Show with Kevin Undergaro. We're your twice-weekly broadcast of One Man's Midlife Crisis and the mad millennials in Star Trek uniforms that follow him. And I'm one of those millennials, Lauren Legrasso here. We've had some amazing guests like Russell Simmons, Ileana Douglas, and Craig Gass. Coolio, right? Christian Blatt in the house to tell you to go to thetomorrowshow.com to check us out. We're live every Monday and Thursday from 10 to midnight Eastern. That's thetomorrowshow.com. Be there, be square, whatever that means. 
Welcome back to X-Pac 12360. After losing his leg to cancer at age 8, today's guest became the first one-legged competitor in pro wrestling history. He's a 13-year veteran who, during his time at WWE, attacked Vince McMahon and defeated Brock Lesnar. He is now a certified DDP yoga trainer, father of two, and is the only amputee ever to compete on American Ninja Warrior. Please welcome Zach Gowan. Magic, magic, ninja, what? I love it. We're coming in with some energy today, Zach. Hope you don't mind. That's uh, that is my uh, forum and my place where I thrive. Uh, not only survive, but I thrive. So I appreciate the energy and thanks uh, for having me on. Thanks for the interest. Uh, Sean, great to see you as always. Oh, great Big to inspiration see you. of mine and Christy, uh, you're great as well. So thank you guys so much for having me on. It's really good to see you, Zach. And you know, for those that are just listening right now, uh, we're looking at Zach, and you look great, man. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> Seriously, and with the beard, everybody, Zach Gowan's got a beard going, and uh, <laughs> you know, we were both talking about why we decided to grow beards, and uh, I, I don't mind sharing. I sharing, you know. Um, I, I just have never been comfortable with my chin. I call it, you know, my James Ellsworth. And uh, so that's why I grew mine. And, uh, and uh, Zach, why'd you grow yours? That's the exact same reason <laughs> for 30 years. I've been self-conscious about my weak chin and my big teeth, right? It's, right? It was hard for me to look in the mirror. And finally, when I hit puberty at 31 years old uh, and I was able to grow a beard, I haven't looked back since. Well, I was, and I was just telling everybody that... Uh, it was. I was 25 when I was able to start growing mine, and I, I couldn't do that without the help of uh, exogenous testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> when I jumped, when I jumped on a little bit of gas, I'd started to be able to grow facial hair. <laughs> Is that what it was? That's what it was. Even though you couldn't tell I was on the gas, uh, you know, it looked like I finally could grow. Freaking beard. So. <laughs> well, Zach, you. you were you were so young when the TV audience first got to know you. So I think it's it's essentially you know now we're we're looking at a, a man, a father too, yeah. a thirty year old guy, and and that's different for some people. Yes, um, and X-Pac can back me up on this uh, because I had the same reaction to X-Pac when I first met him, which is, wow, you are a lot bigger than person um, <laughs> than what I remember. Because when our first memory, that's the one that gets locked into everybody's brains, that first impression. And my first impression of X-Pac, you know, when I saw the one, two, three kid, I'm like, oh, here's this little shrimp. Uh, little did I know that he's six foot one, two twenty. Um, and then when I met you, you were you were big as a as, as a house too, um, <laughs> and so. It's, it's... <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, it's go ahead. No, I'm sorry. When we're doing these Skype, sometimes it's easy to walk over each other. Keep going. Yeah, and so so people have this this kind of image of me, which is fine, um, and uh, y you know they have that, that almost the same concept of like, all right, well here's this little kid undersized, missing a limb. Um, you know, fighting in the land of giants in WWE. Uh, but if you think about it, I mean, that was 13 years ago. And I don't know anybody who hasn't grown or changed or evolved in 13 years. That's a big chunk of time. Huge. And, hey, just, I mean, as far as stature goes, you're six foot, six one yourself, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm six one. Uh, uh, I weigh about 165. If I had two legs, I'd probably be around 185, 190. Okay. Um, so I'm not a small, I'm not small. 
a small guy either. And that's why it was hard when I when I uh, sometimes it's difficult when I wrestle on these indies. Uh, they book me against these really really tiny guys. Um, and it's it's like, well, I'm supposed to be the underdog, but yes, even though I'm missing you. a limb, <laughs> I'm like double your size. Right. So it, it adds an extra challenge to it, you know? Yeah. So hey, I want to go backwards for a second here and talk about you were eight years old when you were diagnosed with cancer and ended up losing your leg. Um, obviously, it goes without saying that's for anybody of any age. But um, and and the thing is. A lot of people they they know that you lost your leg, but the worst part is is it was above the knee. Right, right, exactly. Explain that um, to people. I mean, the, you, you're missing the knee joint, so I mean, it just it it changes the, it changes it like completely. Well, it changes it completely because if I still had my knee joint, I, I would be able to run. I'd be able to wrestle with my leg on. I could play sports at pretty much a, a comparable level. Uh, to the level that I was used to playing. Uh, but when you go above the knee, and mine is so high up, the amputation is so high up, they had to amputate high. Um, and when they put me under, they didn't even know if I was going to wake up with my hip or not. Right. Uh, they kind of they went in blind. And the only goal for, uh, for the doctors and the surgeons was to uh, f- get rid of all the cancer in my leg and make sure it doesn't spread to the rest of my body because if that happens, it's, uh, it's lights out. Um, there's, there's no turning back from that. So they had to amputate really high, uh, to keep me safe. But the amazing thing about it is that kids are so resilient. Exactly. Um, And and so I was able to grow up playing sports on one leg. My balance was, uh, uh, the genesis of, of my balance was created at that moment. Um, you know, and I was able to bounce back. I'm so grateful that the amputation happened at eight years old rather than 28 or 38 or 48 uh, because it gets re- it gets harder and harder to bounce back from that. Yeah. Um, but I'm just I'm just grateful I survived and I had the wonderful world of professional wrestling to dive into when I felt lonely or when I was getting picked on or I felt like I didn't quite fit in. Um, and then that turned into a career for me. And I'm, I'm beyond grateful for my life as it is right now. You know, cool. I, I was I was thinking about that you know you were eight years old and you're talking about how 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 much easier it is for for children to adapt to something like this and and i was wondering if that was the the same case for you because excuse me i know um i've i've worked on uh charities getting prosthetic limbs for for children that you know whether it be well, usually it's just because their insurance won't pay for it or won't pay for a proper one. Um, mm. <clears throat> excuse me. And so, you know, we noticed that a lot of the kids, they have such a, you know, a much easier time, you know, adjusting to this. But what it must have been really difficult as you're eight, you know, starting out at eight years old like this and then having to, you know, as you're growing, having to constantly change prosthetics. Yeah, because I was such a madman that I would I would break every single leg they would give me. Um, there was no, you know, the the the, the energy. Uh, you could take away my leg and, and pump me full of chemotherapy and all of that, but once the effects wore off, I was still the same kid, right. hyperactive, ADHD. Uh, I, I never stopped. I never slowed down. So I kept. <laughs> I don't know how my mom paid for it or what she told the insurance, but I would run through. Literally, I'd run through these legs, uh, two or three of them a year. Uh, because I went so hard on them. Now, there was no issues with the insurance denying uh, denying these. 
Not th- not that oh, I'm aware cool. of or that my mom has ever shared with me. I, uh, we've never really got not gotten into it, but uh, but uh, you know I, when when it comes to any type of insurance or paperwork or anything going on, you know, I mean, it, there's always going to be something involved, you know. Right. Wow. It, it sounds like your mom was uh, maybe a pillar of strength for you and and really just took care of things, so you didn't have to worry about. That's my mom. My mom, even to this day, continues to be my hero. She I mean, if you you look at over the course of my life and there's going to be lots of unique challenges and obstacles uh, that I've had to overcome. uh, But it pales in comparison to my mom's life. My mom's led a much more interesting life than I ever had. Um, And I I, and she continues to be a source of inspiration for me. And the thing is, she had to be because when I was four years old, my father took off, Ah, Uh, never, never to be seen again until I was 20 when I was on WWE TV um, making, you know, making money. Then he tried to creep back into my life. But um, but so I didn't have I didn't have that strong foundation of that father figure at home. My mom had to play both roles. Um, and so, so she was, she's definitely, uh, to this day, I consider my superhero. You know, and the thing is, um, when you're, when you're a single child or, you know, not even a single child, when you're children of a single parent, uh, you know, and the father's not in the house, you're already at 10 times the risk of, you know, turn, you know, ending up in trouble on drugs, alcohol, all these things. Now you put on top of it. You're, you know, at eight years old, you get cancer, you lose your leg. Um, how how early did the substance abuse uh, become an issue? I mean, were 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 you on opiates uh, from from a really young age, Zach? Um, I think when I when I was younger, you know, going through the chemo and in the pain, when I was in pain and all of that. Yeah. Um, but but. There was no abuse, you know. I was too young to really kind of control that stuff. Right. Um, I think I, I I think you can trace back. Uh, obviously, you know, when it comes to addiction and alcoholism, there's so many moving parts and different components, right? Yes. So there's the uh, there's the genetic component which I had uh, from my father's side, uh, and then there's the you know the the trauma in childhood which I had. Right. Um, and and then you know you mix in the ADHD and they hopped me up on Ritalin yes. uh, from the time I was you know, 11 years old until I was 18, which is basically speed, mm-hmm. you Not know, basically, uh, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it is, yeah. you know, and, and for, for my developing mind mixed with all those components, um, up until I was 18, 19 years old on, on Ritalin every day, yeah. it, it certainly messed with my brain chemistry for sure. And then when I got fired from WWE, I was in such a depression and such a low spot in my life that I just, I searched for relief because up until that point, wrestling was my drug. And that was my escape, and I was like, okay, well, this is my identity. You know, I'm a WWE superstar, and I'm making money, and I'm on the road, and I'm hanging out with my heroes, and this sure. is kind of what my life is. And when that was taken away, I had to find, I had to reach outside of myself to find some kind of comfort or some kind of peace just to quiet the noise that was going on in my head, and that's when the opiates and the booze kicked in. I see. Uh, well, when you first – so there was no as – you, as you were getting older and you decided to, uh, you know, that – well, let me go. Let me. Sorry. When you decided you want to be a wrestler, what was it that made you decide uh, think that you could do it, Zach? Uh, what made you are you? You're a big inspiration. Oh, cool. Um, guys like you, um, Shawn Michaels, the Hardy Boys, and Rey Mysterio 
uh, RVD and Sabu, I, I list as my my main inspirations. Guys that were a little smaller in build from the from the norm that were doing crazy athletic maneuvers. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, at you know, 14, 15 years old, I'm like, well, I can I can do all of those maneuvers physically. I can do them. Um, you know, I never knew there was a spot for me because of my size. That was always yeah. the big handicap in my eyes. It wasn't my leg; it was my size. Um, and then when I saw guys like you and the and the, and the legends that I just listed. Uh, that super inspired me to follow that passion and that dream. Wow. But the thing is, is you didn't have anybody to follow. Real, I mean, look, all those people, myself included, we have both of our legs, okay? And and, <laughs> and you don't. I mean, sorry to, to state the obvious here, but so um, I... Uh, who who uh, you know who was the first person that actually believed in you and said yeah we can train you and and you know you can do this. Uh, my trainer did. Uh, his name is Truth Martini. Yeah, I know Truth. Uh, mo- yeah, you know Truth. Yeah. Uh, most known for uh, for his, his rung and ring, ring of honor for the past uh, number of years. Um, this guy is a is a is a genius when it comes to the the, the art form of professional wrestling, um, and he saw uh, my athletic ability. My my drive and my determination and my passion for wrestling. Yeah. Um. And he he and he'll he'll uh, he never told me this, but he said the first time that he saw me, he saw dollar signs. Um. And that's not something I really saw myself really until you know recently, to be honest with you. But uh. But he saw it before anybody else did, and he's the one who continued to push me. You know, even when because it was frustrating because I couldn't study any tapes. Because sure. I, I had to figure everything out myself. I had to figure yeah. out how to move around the ring. I had to figure out how to climb to the top rope. I had to figure out how to do a front bump, how to do a back bump. Uh, but the most difficult part for me learning how to be a wrestler was how do we do all of this and have it make sense without the other guy looking stupid right? Um, or the other guy looking weak. Yes. And that was the challenging part. And that's where the art comes in. And that's where the experience comes in. You know, it wasn't until I was six, seven years in where I kind of, where it kind of all clicked for me like, Oh, okay. I, I, I get it. I can wrestle anywhere for anybody and put on a believable entertaining match. Um, which is why it's almost a little frustrating that my WWE run came so soon. And I don't want to sound ungrateful, but, uh, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. And the, and the producers and the, uh, and the WWE office didn't know what, what they had on their hands either because, like you said, it's never been done before. Yeah. Uh, so we were literally going week to week, throwing stuff at the wall, hoping it stuck. You know? um, and so it's, so it's a little like bittersweet in the sense that I'm so happy that it happened, but uh, it could have been so much more at the same time. Well, Zach, it was, you know, when you get a call from WWE, uh, you, you don't really tell them, hey, I don't think I'm ready yet. You know, <laughs> no. you just go. I mean, I know people that have done that. I'm not going to name any names, but um, and you know, they they realized. Uh, well, actually, you know what? Everything hey, happens how it's supposed to happen, <laughs> Zach. Hey, you remember you when know? AJ Styles turned out a developmental deal? That's right. Yes. Yeah. That, okay. I mean, sometimes it's the right decision for him. It was. Right. Um, Scott Hall. He. You know, they they originally called him right when he when he was still working for Vern. And for for AWA, and he was like, "Oh, I'm not ready," and he turned it down. So, you know, looking back, he he said that that was the wrong thing to do. But at the same time, he ended up coming in later and being Razor Ramon, and every you know, everything happens yeah. how it happens. And uh, here's the thing, Zach, um, I, I I watched the trailer for your documentary, and it kind of got me up to speed on a, a few things that I wasn't aware of, but. Um, how long, you know, it's um, 
it's well known that you ended up garnering a lot of heat backstage in WWE. Um, um, how did that? How did that end up? You know, coming coming about. Did I mean? Did you come in with a bad attitude, or or did people were they just giving you a hard time when you first got there? No, uh, I, nobody really. Nobody gave me a hard time at all. Um, it, it, and, and as I recall it, uh, all of the consequences uh, or the actions that were taken against me were justified. Um, I was a boy entering a man's world. I was 19 years old. I had, I think, tw- less than 20 matches when I got signed. And I wasn't in a place um, to truly accept the gift that was being handed to me. And I hadn't worked hard enough to get that gift. And so I came in. I was young. I was stupid. Um, it was too much too soon for me. I couldn't handle it on, on an emotional and spiritual level. Um, and so I never felt like I fit in. And so historically, what I would do if I didn't feel like I fit in, I would try harder to fit in and I would kind of act out and try to play the part. But I could never get the right combination and I could never figure out what it was I was supposed to do. Um, it was basically, you know, too much too soon, uh, too fast at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a young age for me. Um, and so so I rubbed a lot of people wrong. I mean, if I look back now. Uh, if I'm in that locker room now and, and some kid who's 19 kind of comes in and, and has the same attitude I did, I, I wouldn't like that kid either uh, yeah. because I didn't understand what it, what it took to get to that level. The years of sacrifice, the years of being on the road, trying to juggle relationships, trying to juggle relationships with your kids, trying to move forward in your career, and you're just coming out of a boom, right? So in, in 2000, 2001, you know, when WCW gets bought out, uh, at the end of the hottest period in wrestling history, all of a sudden jobs are limited and the houses are down a little bit. And so it was just a perfect storm uh, for me to walk into, act, act like a kid, act like an asshole, um, and then get heat for it and get called out for it. Wow. Is there any specific examples of when you first got there? Like, uh, what was the first, you know, major run-in you had with, with somebody? And, uh, you know, um, do you remember the circumstances surrounding it? No, uh, uh, it, it, there was a lot of little things, yeah. and then people would talk, the, the, the boys would talk amongst themselves yeah. about what I was doing, um, and they would get back, it, but it was never to me, it was never directed towards me, um, but it, but Rhino would hear about it, or little Guido would hear about it, and then they would pull me aside and be like, hey, Zach, you're, you're messing up, dude, yeah. like, you gotta straight, straighten your stuff out, you know, because they were trying to look out for me, yeah, and but- I would, and, but, but because I didn't see, like, uh, the direct correlation, and or I, I didn't see anybody like being a jerk to me or like picking on me. I thought it was just kind of all in good fun. Um, I, I never changed my behavior, I you know. And then it was funny. <laughs> um, I can look back and laugh out. Um, I remember I, 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 I was getting a ton of heat from even from the office and from the boys and all that. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking to myself, how am I going? How am I going to put this out? How can I alleviate this, right? Um, and so I pull Stevie Richards aside because I know he went through something similar around the same time. And I'm like, hey, Stevie, what did you do, man? And he goes, all right, well, I, I moved to, to Louisville, to OVW. And I started with the classes every single morning. And I, I, I essentially worked my way back up and got the respect of the boys back. And I thought, that's a great idea. So I opted and moved to Louisville to alleviate the heat. The problem was <laughs> uh, uh, 
uh, I no-showed the Monday class because I got drunk on Sunday and I was too hungover and I didn't wake up in time to make it to the Monday class. All right, that's <laughs> so how I, you do it. So yeah. I moved to Louisville to get rid of the heat, but I ended up getting more heat because I was too hungover to show up for class. Nice. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so there's stuff like that, you know, throughout my short time there. Um, and, 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 and I'm not mad or blame anybody at all. Even, uh, even Big Show pulled me aside and was like, hey, man, you're screwing up. You know, I was young and dumb once, um, and this is what I did, and I suggested you do the same, but I didn't yeah. listen to him, and, um, you know, I, I got fired as a result. So uh, before you got fired, any good ribs pulled on you? Or was that stuff over with by the time you got there? No, dude, there were no ribs at all. And oh, I think that's it part was of the problem, a, a, Zach. You might have you might have still been there if they were allowed to rib you. That's what I'm Ooh. saying. There was no ribs at all. It was just people were just. It was almost like a like a vitriol. It, it was there wasn't like a playful kind of thing going on uh, for two reasons. I think they thought that. It might be over the, over, you know, over the line if they were to steal my leg or something. Oh, that would have um, been great. And, and two, uh, and, and, Sounds like the obvious one. And, and that's something you would have done. Yes. And then number, and number two, you uh, I was it. working side by side with Vince. Yeah. And so I think they didn't, uh, because I was next to Vince the whole time, I didn't think they want any uh, mm. any any repercussions from that, maybe. That's probably a safe assumption. I was just going to tell you, you would have found your leg uh, padlocked to a chain and hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, Reservedly so. Did did Vince ever talk to you about your reputation backstage or telling you to cool it or anything like that? No, no, no. That's not. That's not. That that wasn't Vince's role um, when I was there. He was, you know, overseeing everything else. Uh, Johnny Ace pulled me aside, or he actually Johnny Ace gave me a phone call, and uh, and we sat down, and I think we tried to concoct a plan uh, for me to to kind of squash the heat or, or put it out a little bit. Uh, but uh, but nothing came from that. And then the next conversation I had with Johnny, uh, I was being fired. I was going to say. And also, I, I think I would come up with uh, a better person to formulate a plan to put out heat than <laughs> with John Laurinaitis. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I had zero allies, bro. I was reaching for straws, man. <laughs> Well, since you brought up that final conversation with him, why don't you tell us how that went down? Yeah, it was, it's really weird, and I still to this day don't understand it because most people, uh, when they get fired, I guess it's either in, in an email or a phone call. Uh, but So Johnny Ace called me up, and he said, hey, listen, we're going to fly you to Stanford um, in a couple of weeks. And I said, oh, okay. And, and he goes, we'll discuss your future then. And I go, oh, okay, cool. So in my head, I'm like, well, I, I feel like I'm, I'm about to get fired, but why wouldn't they just fire me over the phone when they had the opportunity to do it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I didn't understand it. And then so they flew me in, um, and then I didn't even see Johnny Ace or Vince. I saw Jim Ross, um, and Jim Ross sat me down for about 30, 45 minutes, uh, explained why they were letting me go, gave me some advice on what to do in the future, and said the door is always open for a return. Um, and, uh, and, and then I got, I got back in the town car, they sent me to the airport and I flew home. So essentially they, they, they flew me out to the WWE headquarters to fire me. Then they flew me home. And I, I don't know whether to be, um, I'd have been pissed. I don't, I, I, <laughs> send me well, the email or, or send like, me the or, FedEx or, or, laugh or something. At it. I'm not sure. Cause it's pretty unprecedented. I think. Yeah. Well, actually, um, they brought me in to tell, to tell me they would let me go if I wanted to leave the first time I left. 
you know, oh. they flew they flew me all the way there for for that and uh um so it doesn't surprise me now let me ask you this how long did you wait before you saw jim ross did you sit there for like two three hours yes of course. I all day, man. <laughs> it was the worst experience of my life that's a that's a that's a uh, psych out trick that's um, that's mind games they play on you so you're so you're not you're at a, even more of a disadvantage when you finally get in there what kind of advice did Jim Ross give you? Uh, he told me to go back to the Indies um, to develop uh, my body more and to uh, develop gas. my uh, – and basically, yeah, <laughs> and basically uh, figure out, uh, uh, you know, who I am and, and how to put it all together. He told me to, you know, try to work, try to work heel at some promotions, try to work uh, baby face and others, yeah. uh, hit the road, travel, and just get more seasoning. Uh, which I think okay. that was the spirit uh, with what she with yeah. what she uh, would was would fire me with. Okay, when Zach, you remember when you and I first met at all? Do you uh, remember where that was? I think it was was in TNA. Um, well, I just remember meeting you somewhere, and, and I want to say it must have been right after you were um, let go. I and I and I bring this up just because of of how you are now compared to how you were then. And it wasn't the best first impression, Zach. Um, you were very nice and very respectful to me, but you just you projected this attitude and you were sitting there with the cigarette hanging out of your mouth and it just it, it's so it's night and day compared to how you are now. And and um uh I don't know, I just felt like throwing that out there because it's amazing to see, you know, people when they grow and they and they change, you know? I, I love hearing that because I'm in my skin 24 seven. Right. Right. So any type, any sort of change happens very incrementally over a period of time, except when there's little snapshots of life yeah. that you can kind of reflect on. And, and so that's the only, the only time I see growth in myself is when I'm able to look back at a certain situation, um, and, and, and recognize myself as a totally different person or have somebody bring that to my attention. Sure. Uh, and so I, I love hearing that, man. Thank and you. Thank you very much no, for saying that. No, it's great. I'm, I'm very grateful to be able to say it. And, and I noticed that, you know, and I, I saw you, um, occasionally between that first time. And, uh, now that we're sitting here looking at each other through, uh, you know, modern technology, but I, I noticed a, you know, I noticed that you were making progress. It, it just seemed like a better version of Zach Gowan each time. So it's kind of cool. I'm sure you had ups and downs and maybe a f few steps backwards at times. I know I did, but um, the the forward progress is, is obvious. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I mean that. And it seems like WWE kind of stuck with you even after that. Is it true that they paid for your rehab? Yeah, they absolutely did. And that, and to me, that's... You know, when people like they, they'll hit me up on Twitter all the time and, and they'll kind of goad me into saying something bad about Vince or WWE. And I will never, ever, ever say anything bad about them because there's there's three different phases of my life that they've impacted um, that impacts everything around me. One, when I was a kid uh, and I felt left out and I felt ugly and I felt defective, I could escape into into WWE. And, and not feel that way, the magic of professional wrestling. Um, two, when I was you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, they gave me a career that from that, I've been able to launch off and to do amazing things around the world, carry a message, help a lot of people. And number three, they literally saved my life by, uh, by paying for, you know, for, for my treatment, 
uh, when I was at the lowest point in my life. Um, and, and by doing so allows me again, like I said, to carry a message to people all over, all over the world. Also Vince, when I was in, um, when I was in WWE, he bought me two prosthetic legs, uh, which came to a, a total of $30,000. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah, he bought me two legs. One was to keep on the road in case my leg broke while we're on the road. And the other one, we were going to, uh, we're going to have like Brock Lesnar break it on yeah. live TV or something, but it never uh-huh. happened. But, uh, but the end, at the end of the day, he bought me two prosthetic legs. So I'll, I'll never say anything bad about Vince or WWE. Uh, they've, they've impacted my family, uh, myself and the people around me, um, immensely. Yeah. Vince does the, he does those type of things. <clears throat> and we were talking to Bob Holly last week and, you know, he gave Bob Holly the race car. Um, that you know that he was driving, you know, back in the Thurman Sparky Plug days, and you know nobody knew about that until Bob mentioned it. Nobody really knew about you know your the prosthetic legs he gifted you until you mentioned it. It's not like he's, you know, he doesn't do things for a pat on the back. Those those type of things. So uh, no, yeah, you don't hear about it unless somebody talks about it. People want to, but you know that's the society we live in. People want to harp on the negative and they want to, you know, exploit that and perpetuate the hate. Uh, and that's not what I'm about, man. Yeah, Zach, what was it? What was the uh, what? What made you decide to go to rehab? Uh, well, I was at a certain point where I, you know, I would uh, for two years before uh, I made that commitment to rehab, I uh, I would attempt to stop taking pills and, and sure. drinking on my own. Um, and the the thing about the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction is. Uh, for for me, it was it, it was it was never ending, and it was never about the pills or drugs, right? Um, so when I stopped taking them, uh, my life got considerably worse. You know, I thought the pills and the booze were the problem. So I'm like, all right, well, let me eliminate this stuff, uh, and my life will get better. Uh, but the, just the opposite happened, right? Yeah. So my life got worse, um, and then when my life got worse, I started I picked up again, uh, just to look for some kind of relief, uh, just some ease and comfort. Um, and then when I picked up again, my life got even worse, even more, <laughs> even, yeah. even more bad. Uh, and then I would quit and then my life would get worse and, and so on and so forth. So I, I just ended up at this point where I didn't care if I lived or died. Um, I mean, it got so bad for me that when I would wake up in the morning, I was pissed that I had to face another day. Yeah. Um, and, and so when you, when you kind of get to that point in life where, you know, uh, the re- the reality isn't, uh, it isn't as it seems, um, and it, you kind of slip in, in and out of this madness. Um, it's a very scary place to be because it doesn't matter at that point, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I had some some awesome intervention, and then WWE picked up the tab uh, for the rehab. And at the rehab center, the seeds of recovery were planted in me. Um, now, it, now it, it's totally up to Vince. Will give you an opportunity, right? Yes. Vince will give you an opportunity. He'll he'll, he'll pay for your rehab. We'll give you a shot uh, on the roster whatever it is, but from that point on, it's, it's what you do with it. It's your responsibility. Uh, and I'm very grateful to say that for, you know, for the past six, six and a half years, I've been clean and sober, um, and, you know, living one day at a time, trying to help uh, the next uh, next person in, in, in addiction. Wow, man. And uh, so did it only take one trip to the, to the nut house for you? Yeah, yeah. It, wow, it took man. one, I'm, uh, it, which is incredibly rare. Um, it is. It, <laughs> it, <laughs> Talk about yeah. that. Yeah, uh, I think the, the, the latest statistic I heard is that it, it usually takes uh, the average of three and a half trips to rehab to get yes. one year of sobriety, yeah. uh, something, something like that. And um, I, I, don't know, I don't know why it was different for me. 
um, and I, I try not, I try not to question it. I just try to pay it forward and, sure. and uh, be of service to you know myself, my family, my community, uh, and also the the to the alcoholic and drug addict who's still struggling out there. You know, yeah. uh, I'm here to say there's hope and recovery is possible. And even if you even if you're okay, Scott all twelve rehabs, me three mm-hmm. rehabs. Okay, um, even if you've been to three, you've been to five, six. Uh, it, sometimes it's that seventh one, you know, that, you know, you're just not ready yet, man. And, and, the, and the thing is, man, we just got to keep, uh, keep people alive until they are ready. You know, I agree with that. Absolutely agree with that. And there, there's no, um, there's nothing any other human on earth can do to align, to, 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 to dial in that combination to the point where it sticks, right? You know, like if I could or you could, we'd be billionaires at this at sure. this point, and we'd be we'd be we'd be owning our own island. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's it's impossible, and and really, the point of surrender to be able to accept help comes from uh, the pain of consequences, That's and right. where that pain threshold is is different for each person, and sometimes uh, death comes before that pain threshold is is met. Uh, which is which is incredibly sad, uh, which is why we talk about the gift of recovery. Uh, for me, I had no I had no say in whether I lived or died or or, or got recovered or didn't. Um, and so that's why I think, you know, the, the life I live now is a complete gift uh, from some sort of higher source. But uh, but, yeah, that's what it's, it's really all about. It's all about, you know, if, if if I'm still breathing, that means there's an opportunity and there's a chance for me to you know be sober today. Um, and that's really the message, you know. Yeah, and uh, so have have you ever felt, uh, you know, have you ever been worried that, okay, you know, things are, you know, I'm having some trauma going on or, you know, it's bad circumstances in my life right now uh, where you felt like you might be at risk for relapse? Um, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Because I can get, because I still have the same DNA and the same build and the yeah. same makeup as I've always had since the day I was born, you know, uh, I'm, I'm naturally prone to depression. I'm naturally prone to anxiety. I'm naturally prone to resentments, to rage, to all of this. And when I get lost in all of that stuff, uh, that's when, uh, you know, up becomes down and, 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 uh, East becomes West, uh, and all bets are off. Um, and so that's why it's so, so important for me that even when my day is going well and I'm connected and I'm firing in all cylinders, it's important for me to, 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 to keep up my work on a daily basis in the recovery community so I can be, I can be plugged into these guys, um, and I can be of service that way. And and so that, that, that does two things. One that allows me to help somebody else and by helping somebody else, uh, ultimately helps me. Um, and that's why it's it's a it's what they say one day at a time. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a daily struggle uh, uh, for it, and it's a fight that I'm willing to fight for the rest of my life. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's uh, for people that think that you go to rehab and they cure you of your alcoholism and and addiction. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> that's what I thought it was. <laughs> me too. The first time I went, I was sadly <laughs> mistaken. I thought where you know they were going to give me some shot, and maybe a few pills, and you know. I would be on my way. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> the only, the only thing about rehab that I knew was from Doctor Drew. Yeah. Right. And so I thought they were going to send me to uh, Pasadena, California, sure. in right? the middle of February, and I was going to be on the beach and do yeah. some push-ups and take some um, 
uh, some Xanax and just kind of chill out, right, for the right. month. And then and all of a sudden, that WWE, they're going to call me up in a month and give me my job back, and, and I'm going to be smooth sailing from there on out. Uh, I was really disappointed when I when they when they sent me to <laughs> to Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the middle of February, and then I walk in and I ask him for some uh, for some Xanax, and I'm like, listen, opiates are the problem. Benzos, I can take benzos. I sure. need the benzos to come off. The, like I'm telling them how how I'm going to get off the drugs, right. you know? <laughs> and they wouldn't give me anything for it, man. Because your way for, uh, your way worked too. really good for you up until that point, right? <laughs> yeah, look where it got me. <laughs> well, Zach, you talked about expecting to maybe return to WWE after you got well, and now that you are doing so great, has that conversation ever come up? Do you think that's yeah, a possibility? I don't. I, I don't know if it's a possibility. I don't think it's a possibility. But I also didn't think the first time was a possibility. I also didn't think becoming uh, going on American Ninja Warrior was a possibility. Uh, all these amazing things that happened in my life uh, are really outside of my control. Um, all I'm responsible for really is doing the next right thing and, and staying it, prepared and, and trying to be of service to my fellow man. Um, yes. And that's all. That's all I can really control. Yeah. Um, I, I hear and, uh, what you just said. The next right thing. When people ask me, you know, um, you one of the, you know, what are the things that you know? Uh, why are you doing so so much better than than you were? And I'm like, well, part of it is just that is doing that next right thing, and uh, and also Zach, um, you know, there's so many like sayings that that the people use in the recovery community, you know, and one of them is uh, you have to give it away, you know what you have to to be able to keep it you have to give it away and you know service work and helping others is one of the and there's a lot of different ways of doing that but it's one of the ways of of keeping yourself healthy and sober and and that and that's what it is six and a half years in um because because the the fear of like you know all of a sudden passing a liquor store and then bugging out and then driving in and and getting shit-faced um that's that that that's gone you know uh, but for me, I have to look out for other manifestations of my alcoholism, and how I keep them at bay um, is 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 being of service to others, yeah. uh, which is it, it's really powerful too because it's it's how I found my other career, which is public speaking and, and doing inspirational speaking and professional development uh, for teachers and talking to kids all throughout the all throughout the country. Uh, it really started as a source of me being able to share my story in hopes of helping somebody else, and it turned into a career. Um, and so that's something I'm very grateful for, very, very grateful for too. And something I didn't see coming either. So you talk about, you know, you talk about WWE, um, and that being a goal. Yeah. That was a huge motivation for me to get sober. You know, yeah. I was like in my head, I'm like, I'm going to get sober and I'm going to go back to WWE. Um, and it's all going to work out how I think it's going to work out. Well, it's, it's been, you know, almost seven years since that's happened and, and we haven't, I haven't got a contract yet, <laughs> yeah. so I'm not holding my breath, but all these other amazing things have happened and the quality of my life and the depth of meaning that I have in my life, you know, with my two kids, my wife, uh, the, the people, my support system around me is just, it's, it's more than I could even comprehended when I started this journey. Um, yeah. and what I'm gr- grateful for. So, um, your, your children, uh, Zach, how old are they? So I have a four-year-old and an eight-month-old. Wow! Ooh. Both of your, neither one of your children, knock on wood, will have experienced uh, anything but a sober father. No, they've never seen me drunk or high, man. Very cool. or abusive or crazy or anything like that. Wow, man! That's Which cool. is something I can't say because that's I grew up in an alcoholic, abusive yeah. home. 
Um, and so I don't have the, the know-how or the skills or the guidance to pass down to my kids, which is why my recovery is so important, which is why I talk to fathers in recovery, which is why I talk to you know, uh, the support system and people around me, which is why it's so important for me to ask for help yeah. uh, so I can receive the guidance so I can pass it down to my kids. You know? Yeah. Uh, can, you, can you tell us uh, how the, the American Ninja Warrior gig came about? Dude, it was crazy. I, I made a Facebook post in January, and I, all it said was, I want to go on American Ninja Warrior. That's all it said. Yeah. Uh, and within like two minutes, the people started blowing it up and liking and commenting and sharing, and it, 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 it became this huge thing. And, and all of a sudden, I started believing the hype. Yeah. <laughs> like, I started gassing myself up, and I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to fill out the application. And so literally at that moment, I filled out the application, um, and then they uh, they called me a few weeks later, and they wanted footage of me doing actual Ninja Warrior op- you know, uh, uh, obstacles. And, yes. I found a gym around me, and we filmed it, and we sent it back to them. And then uh, a few weeks after that, they called me up and cast me for the show. Um, and so I said yes. You know, there's so much power in saying yes. yes. Um, at that point, I was incredibly, I was incredibly scared because I'm like, what if I fall? What if they make fun of me? What if I look stupid? I've never done this before. All of the self doubt and like the self pity stuff kind of yes. kind of came about. But in order for me to overcome that, all I have to do is show up and honor my commitments and do the best I can, leave the outcome to whoever's out there. Um, and, I, and honestly, it was, it was the best thing that's, that's happened to me this year in terms of exposure, getting eyes on my story, yeah. uh, and inspiring others. You know, it, it's just, it's remarkable, really, how the, how the whole thing came about. It is, man. And, you know, you're talking about uh, having doubt, and I, it, it just brought up something that my therapist told me last time I saw her uh, a few weeks, like a week ago. She, uh, you know, I was talking about, uh, you know, doubting certain things. And, and even now, even though I'm doing so much better, I still have that doubt. And she told me, the voice of doubt is a liar. And it is, man. The voice of doubt is a freaking liar, Zach. It's powerful. Man, yeah. it was amazing. It that's, was amazing watching you on there. How did you train for that? super powerful, man. It's, it, you know... Uh, somebody asked me on Twitter today, they go, how do you deal with the haters? And, 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 and all I could think of is the haters that I experience on social media are nothing compared to what I tell myself in my head when I reach those low points. Yeah. You know, yep. it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's powerful stuff, yeah. man. The voice of doubt is a liar. <laughs> right. So how much time did you train for? When, uh, were there specific things? I mean... I, I can't imagine, well, I can't imagine, but um, did you have a obstacle course that you went to that you trained for these events, or were you just really just that much of a natural at it? No, I, um, there was a little bit of, of, of natural ability that, that came through for sure, but I, there's, a, there's a local ninja gym, yeah. uh, and the, the, the culture is so um, uh, uh, ingrained and it's growing. Uh, these like ninja gyms are popping up everywhere, and kids love them, and it's become a huge phenomenon in the whole universe that I wasn't really even privy to yeah. until I was until I was in it. Uh, but there's this uh, local gym 
they have all the obstacles there. Um, and uh, I got a personal coach, and I, and I had six weeks to get ready. So I trained three times a week at the gym uh, for six weeks, and uh, that prepared me enough to do what I did, which, which is crazy to think about because these, these people that, that do these competitions, they train year-round. Yeah, and, like, man. Their whole lives revolve yeah. around this thing. And it's, and it's like – and I got further than – and we had 110 runners, I think. Uh, I got further than 50% uh, of, of the pack, uh, and, of course, they all ran on two legs, too. That's right. Um, and so, yeah, and so it, that, that was a huge feather in my cap and something I'm, I'm very, very proud of. I, I worked hard for it, um, and, uh, you know, I, like I said, man, just the opportunity to, to give me NBC, to have NBC come to my house and do a vignette and film for a couple of days with me and then put that together in an awesome package, yeah. you know, and have like, I don't know, like 15, 20 million people see it throughout, you know, uh, the live broadcasts and the replays and the YouTube and the Facebook videos and all this stuff. It's yeah. like, dude, what more could you ask for, man? It's, it's exactly. 2016 has been a crazy year, like all around for everybody yeah, and everything, you know? And so why not, you know, if the Cubs can win the world series and Donald Trump can get elected <laughs> president, why not? That's yeah. that going on American Ninja Warrior, you know, Zach, I watched, I watched this for the first time last night and it was about three in the morning and I popped huge. I think I might've woke other people in the house up actually over it. Um, I, I mean, my jaw at the floor. When I, what is the, what is the, uh, the part where you're holding on to that log and it's rolling and it's rolling down? I, I just got <laughs> shit, man. I couldn't believe you held on to that thing the whole time. <laughs> Dude, I couldn't, I couldn't either, um, because there, I've never practiced on anything like that in my life. I had no idea what was going to happen once I, I, I just literally I grabbed it and I held on for dear life. Um, and I close my eyes tightly and it doesn't look like it's spinning me very fast, but when you're in that spin cycle, it's like, it feels like you're going a million miles an hour. I was so mad when I watched the replay yeah. back. I'm like, no, that must be in slow motion because <laughs> it was going so much faster than that. And like the, uh, the G forces and centrifugal yeah. force of my leg flying off and all the physics involved, dude, like I couldn't, I, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't believe I made it either. So that reaction for me. Um, a lot of it, you know, if you watch the run, you can see like the wrestling, you know, the stage presence yeah, man. and all of that kind of come out and work the crowd and then work the hard cam and all that stuff. But that was a real genuine reaction when I, when I got off that log that I made it, dude, it was, it was powerful, man. Yeah. It's powerful right now, man. I got goosebumps under my sweat jacket right now. <laughs> Legit, man. Cool That's inspirational that. as hell. Yeah. Well, and you're still wrestling too, right? Yeah. I wrestle full time on the indies. Um, and I speak uh, full time with my uh, with my speaking agency, Cool Speak. They're a youth empowerment company. Uh, we travel the country and we talk to kids of all different ages and diversities and backgrounds, and, and we try to empower these kids. Um, and I'm a full time dad. My wife works, um, and so my schedule changes pretty much every single every single week. But uh, but I'm I'm really I'm I'm living a life that I didn't even know was possible, and I'm. Just, Truly, truly grateful. And is, how's uh, DDP yoga um, oh, work, work itself into I, that? I can't even. I'm a certified DDP yoga trainer. Right. Um, cool. You know, and, and this is it's the only workout I do besides some circuit training and some cardio at the gym. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's my it's my main workout. I've been doing it for over two years now. I'm a certified trainer. I run classes here in Detroit. Um, if you want to come break a sweat with me, I do one-on-one classes. Yeah. I also do group classes. Uh, go to ZachGowan.com, fill out the contact info. 
uh, and I'll get right back to you. And that's for if you want to book me for a wrestling show too, uh, do that. And for speaking engagements, just go to zachgowan.com and uh, I'll hook you up. Very cool because we had da- we had Dallas in in studio here was a month or so ago, so, maybe yeah, two months, months ago. ago. And you know, well, obviously everybody knows I've known Dallas and my friends, and you know, we've known each other for years, and uh, he's been an integral part in helping, you know, helping dear friends of mine. And uh, uh, he's really, uh, I really believe he's doing God's work. And um, uh, Zach, man, I really, really appreciate you coming on, man. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in person sometime. Yeah, really soon. yeah, let's make it let's make it soon. We should we should wrestle each other or something. <laughs> it would be an honor I, to share a ring with you. How about if we team? I don't do singles matches anymore. <laughs> hey, we'll team. Yeah, for okay. sure. We'll do it, man. Okay. I'll give you the hot tag. I'll take the heat. How about that? No, 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 no. I'm All gonna right. I'm gonna bump around for you, man. Just come in. Uh, do your thing and uh, send the, send the fans home happy. All right. That's all I ask. Sounds good. It's a deal. Promoters book that shit. <laughs> book it. We want to yeah. see it. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today, Zach. It's so great to see you, and you're such an inspiration, yeah, man. man. I just I can't tell you enough. That's kind, guys. Again, I'm a huge fan of the show. Huge fan of you both. Uh, thank you for the interest, and thanks for giving me a platform. Like I said, everything's a platform for me to carry a message, whether it's doing the X-Pac 12360 show, a wrestling ring on stage uh, at a school carrying a message, doing DDP yoga with a group of amputees in Guatemala, which I just did with a wonderful uh, nonprofit that I work for. Uh, it's all, it's all For me, it's, it's an extension of me carrying a message, trying to help another person. So I appreciate you guys giving me the time and platform for that. We're honored to have you, Zach. Have a great day, man. You too. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Very cool. Oh, wow. That was mind-blowing. And now we will be back with the grappler, Len Denton. It's not over yet. Stay tuned. Nuno's here. We want to let you know about my new show on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. It's called Conversations with Maria, and it's live Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Go to conversationswithmaria.com for more info. Buzz you later. Welcome back. The guest joining us now enjoyed a long in-ring career holding multiple titles around the world. He helped Jake Roberts invent the DDT and taught Ultimate Warrior the press slam. In his early years, he was Ric Flair's chauffeur and would later become Roddy Roddy Piper's right-hand man. Introducing in-ring champion, booker, trainer, and linchpin of the Portland wrestling scene where he is the only Pacific Northwest heavyweight champion ever to open his own pro wrestling academy. We have the grappler Len Denton today. All right, yeah. Yay. yeah. Well, th- thank you for agreeing to sit down and chat with us today. We're excited to talk to you. Yeah, thank you, Len. Len or Mr. Grappler, which do you prefer? Mr. Denton? Uh, Lenny's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, my yes. God. Um, so I, I look, uh, Len, Lenny. Sorry, I'm still. Uh, I, I have so much respect for you. I'm having a hard time even talking to you. <laughs> um, the boys, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, the boys. And I don't know if you remember. Uh, um, I came to Championship Wrestling from Hollywood for the uh, Hollywood Rumble or whatever it was. The red carpet mm-hmm. rumble. Oh, the red carpet rumble. Yes, and you were there, and I was. Uh, I was so stoked to see you. I didn't know you were going to be there, and. Um, Oh, what a treat yeah. that was. And you were so cool to me, Len. Thank you so much. 
Oh, brother, hey, I'm proud I was, man. I appreciate it. Because you know what? I respect your talent as well, sir. Believe right, me. Thanks, man. Um, I, I, was, I read your book. It was, it's a great book. And here's the thing. It's very difficult for me to read any book because uh, I have ADD, uh, severe ADD. But this is such an easy read, man. It's amazing, man. And, um, and I was through it. Before, before, you know, through it before I knew it. Sorry for the rhyme. <laughs> you know something, the thing about that book is, um, I, I learned once the book was done, yep. okay? When you write a book and you put it out there for sale, you better make sure you've done your research and you got every, all the T's crossed and I's dotted, and you better be telling the truth because when you get on a podcast, they're going to ask you on it. Every one of those stories just about, and, uh, better be dead on with it and that's what we did we did the yeah. search a guy helped me write that book he did the research he got everything down because i'm talking stories back you're talking about 77 78 82 yes. i can't remember half we did all the research and got it down right so i hope you enjoyed it i appreciate it oh i did and and um right from the forward that uh roddy piper does the forward and uh he talks you know, he talks about the, the story of, um, he has his own version of the story of uh, you having to fire Billy Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, know, I yeah. don't envy you. I don't envy you on that one. <laughs> Bill, I knew Billy in Florida when I was a child. He was very, very good to me. But I, we, yeah. you know, it's, you know, we can talk about that later. But, um, <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. Um, so, but uh, Tiger Conway Jr., or Tiger Conway was, uh, the, <laughs> I noticed in the beginning of your book, you talk about uh, Tiger and uh, and how he said you'd you'd make a good wrestler. Well, see, here's what happened there. It, um, I got from Houston, Texas, and uh, my, here's how it all come to pass. My dad did construction work, right? yeah. and uh, he took his buddy, and they somehow they met. I don't know exactly how he met uh, Tiger Conway, the senior. Was he making? He, he needed like a carport or thing built for his. He has a fencing company, yeah. so he needed stuff to park his trucks under. And my dad decided to do it for him. And in the process, I was out there helping on weekends. Yeah. By, not by my choice. Get your ass up and get out there. Okay? So every weekend I had to help him. And then uh, I met Tiger. And he told me about his son, Tiger Jr. Yep. said, you know, you might, because I was an athlete in high school. And he goes, you might make a good wrestler. I wasn't even interested in it at all. And then once I started talking to him, I got more and more interested in it. And then... Um, I tell you what happened. <laughs> Here's what happened, boss. Sean, we go. Um, so I went and, and I asked him to train me. Yeah. And, and for some reason, he said, "He goes, uh, he goes. Well, I know. I'll see if I can get around to it. Let me think about it." And so I got bored as any kid, and I went across town. Yeah. Where they had the Lucha guys, right? Yes. Training. And I was there two weeks, and they were ready for me to have a match. And I, it freaked me out. I'm like, I ain't ready to have a match, man. I've been training two weeks. Right? Now, so, we're, now, just to uh, set the stage here, we're talking about uh, you growing up in the Houston area. And yes, so sir. that would make sense that uh, on the other side of town, there would be yes. some lucha stuff going on. And there, I mean, uh, there is to this day. Yeah, there's a lot of Mexican yeah. people there. So I went. So then I came back, and I said, well, I need to call Tiger. I should call Tiger. So I called Tiger, and I told him he got pissed off. Right. You know, back then, they didn't want you going opposition and doing different things. Yep. He definitely didn't want nobody smarting me up yet, okay? And so, and so um, he goes, I tell you what, he tells my dad, meet me at the Coliseum Sunday, and I'm going to show your son what he don't know. But okay. The only thing, I, yeah, so I go there, and I meet him in the ring, 
and he tries to blow me up first, you know. But I was in really good shape back then. I was getting ready to go to college, which I never did. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I was in real good shape, so he tried to blow me up, and he couldn't blow me up. And then he finally just said, you know what, I don't feel comfortable training this kid. I don't want nothing to do with him. And he uh-huh. just told me to leave. And so then I ended up going to another guy and getting trained. That's why I got, like, addicted to it. Now i got to do it. Yeah. And, you know, and then it went from there. And you know? Joe, uh, your trainer, his name was Joe Mercer. Uh, yeah. It sounds like quite the character, man. Man, he was, he was too much. Here's what Joe did, though. Joe says, okay, the first thing you're going to learn is how to build a ring for me. Okay, so, yep. Pay for the lumber, believe it or not. We we had to build the ring for him. So you learn from the ground floor up. That's right. Then, then once you learn how to take, you, you start showing you how to take the falls and the bumps and all that. And you finally get to where you're hitting the ropes. And then he would take you down, stretch you and stuff like that. Like they did back in the day, you know, they'd stretch you some. Of course. Uh, once you got to a certain point, but it went from the ground floor all the way up. So he, he, and he'd do, he would do spot shows with us and we would drive there. We'd get there early, we'd set the ring up, okay? Then we'd hide in the back like we were a big star. Then we'd come out and wrestle. Yep. And then we'd wait until everybody left, and we'd unload the ring, load it back up. Sure. We'd meet him back in Houston and put it back in the training center at school, you know, at school. And uh, we drove there and uh, paid our own gas, and we never got a dime. He didn't pay us. He got oh, the whole house. Of course not. You're interning. Um, anyways. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, one way to look at it. So, Len, uh, were these shows uh, were, were they what what they would uh, refer to as like a student show, or were there any actual uh, experienced wrestlers on these shows? No, they were all. Uh, well, they had a couple of guys that had been working a little bit. Yeah. But um, and then Joe worked. I had to work with Joe almost every time. Yes. How and would Joe, brother, I swear? I mean, Joe. I, many times I remember him because I was like a white meat baby face, freckle face. Yeah. I weighed one hundred eighty nine pounds. You know, white meat, baby face. And he would yank a handful of hair out of my head. And then it got to a point every time I worked with him, he'd make me get juice. I go, damn, my dusty roads or what? Right. Because he'd, he'd like to get that heat and bring them people back. And he was wearing my old ass out, my young ass out at the time. <laughs> now, hey, looking back on it, could you remember whether you would consider him a decent worker? Was he capable in there? And how was he as a trainer? He was, um, he was a pretty good trainer. The first worker... Working with him, nah, he was he wasn't that, he was okay. Now now yeah. that I look back, back then I didn't know, but now I would go. I got to work with that asshole. It's like pulling teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, all he really done was he just he would come out and he'd do a couple moves and he'd just get heat the rest of the match. Beat shit yeah. Up. You know what I was? Um, I was uh, I smiled when I read that you started with Gary Young. I knew Gary, and uh, we worked Gary. together. We worked together in Dallas at Sportatorium. Oh, is that right? Oh, That's yeah. cool. You know, Gary, we started together, and we went to the first territory together, Amarillo. Yeah. Yeah, they liked Gary, but I was too small, so they fired me. Yeah, Art <laughs> Nelson was the booker there. Art Nelson, yeah. yeah. He stretched the shit out of me. Yeah. You know what he did? I was supposed to wrestle Sputnik Monroe in oh, Earth from Texas, and uh, they wouldn't put me on TV. They said I was too small. And uh, so they... They, uh, they wrestled, uh, TV was our first show, so they, uh, they let Gary wrestle, he's working with Abdullah the Butcher, okay? Yeah. And so they, he comes over to me, he goes, hey, Lenny, I got Abdullah. I go, no shit. He goes, yeah, he goes, they're going to get some juice on me. I go, wait a minute, bro, you know who we're trained. Are you doing it or are you letting Abby? He goes, no, they're more experienced. I said, look at that son of a bitch's hand yeah. over there. 
I go, you want him to cut? He, he cut brother, he laid him from ear to ear. Of course. And he, oh. sewed, and he sewed, yeah. Of course. I mean, I... Oh, yeah, I knew it was coming, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, that, unfortunately, it's been done as a rib to people at times, which is That's which is bullcrap. I'm trying to, hey, Lenny, if you if, if you hear me say something like bullcrap, it's because I'm trying to watch the cussing on the show here. That, I'm <laughs> we're just working on it. No, we're not, uh, we don't have a policy against it. It's just I'm trying to be mindful of it because I have such a bad mouth. But you, you, can, you can let it fly. You're a wrestler, man. You're a wrestler. Yeah, you can let it fly all you want, though. Uh so where were we? Oh, we were talking about so, uh, somebody uh, getting color on you instead of getting yourself. Is that something that you're like, like I put my life in your hands? We have this like mutual respect. Like, why would you do that to me? Kind of thing. Yeah, exactly like that. It's like, okay, um, if you're a professional, you wouldn't ask somebody else to do it. Okay, but yeah. he was a rookie, and so I got you covered, kid. I'll take care of you. And then he does it overboard it just for the hell of it for sure. real. So you go back and laugh his ass off to the old timers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, That's the stuff he done, yeah. So you you talk about Abby and how he gave you some really good uh, advice when uh, when Art Nelson was uh, giving you, basically uh, leading you towards the door. Yeah, oh yeah, he goes, um, see, we went to, the last show I went to, I was going to tell you about Hereford real quick. Okay, yeah. Hereford, I, think, I was supposed to wrestle Spudding Monroe, and he didn't show up, he got drunk. Yeah. And so they put me... Was, they put me against Art Nelson, and he goes, "We're going 20 minutes through, kid." And oh, I'm, yeah. I'm telling you right now, Sean, I didn't get off the mat until the finish. Nice. <laughs> I was on my stomach for 20 minutes. He wouldn't let me up. He kept cross facing me and doing all kinds of shit. I said, "Well, what? Like, it wasn't tough, and it wasn't bad enough to just fire my ass. You know, you had to." Make it, make an ass out of me too. Looking uh, back, on, looking back on it, was he was uh, that? Do you think he was doing you a favor? Or was he just an asshole? Yeah, you know what? I just think he, he's like this right here. I was some kid to come in there, and he's saying, "Why does this guy think he deserves to be in pro wrestling?" Sure. First of all, he don't look the part yet. He's not big enough, and he ain't qualified. So you know, they try to get they try to weed them guys out. If I wouldn't, if I would have bitched and complained and cried about it. I probably never would have got booked again, but I just took it and they said, okay, you know, so long, fine, you start to make your grade and you get on up there and they help people help you. Right. But then my last show in, in Amarillo was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I had Abdullah, <laughs> Abdullah rode with me, right? This is where he helped me out. <laughs> so he's in the back, laying in the back seat, and I'm driving like a chauffeur. Yeah, champ. Yeah, champ. He goes, he didn't tip either. He goes, hey, baby, hey, baby. He goes, when we get to Tucum, Curious, about halfway, wake me up for the buffet. Mm, yeah. Holy of shit. course. So I'm, I'm driving, and I'm not kidding you, man. Five miles before we get to town, all of a sudden he wakes up. He taps me. It's right up here in the next section. He knew exactly. Yeah, his buffet, <laughs> ra- buffet. His buffet radar went off. <laughs> so he, <laughs> so so he didn't. So we went into Albuquerque. On the way back, we're almost back to Amarillo, and this is my last night, and I blow the engine up in my car. Okay, so I had to limp it in like that. <laughs> we get in, I drop Abby off, and he goes, hey, kid, I know you feel bad. You got your notice and all that. He says, Here what, here's what you should do. He said, take a letter and write it to uh, Dory Funk Jr., the owner of the Amarillo Territory, and thank you very, very much for giving you a try. If there's any way possibly Mike can help you in any way, get your phone number, address, all that, and sign it. Seal it and give it to Art Nelson. Make sure you seal it. Don't give it to him. He'll throw it away. If he reads and sees what you're doing, and sign it to uh, Dory Funk Jr. And I did. And 
by the time I got the motor fixed and got home, he had already called my dad and said, hey, tell Lenny to be in Mid-South in two weeks, he starts, for Bill Watts. Oh, in Shreveport, wow. yeah. Yeah, so thank God. So I got, if it wouldn't have been for heavy to tell me to do that, I probably would have never got another booking, I don't know. Yeah. You know? And you didn't spend too long, you didn't spend too much time in, uh, in, in Mid-South. It was called Tri-State at the time, it hadn't, it hadn't become Mid-South yet. I was here eight months, and then Watts came to me and goes, Look, you're getting better and everything, and you can go I'm, where you want to go. He said, I can get you booked in any territory you want, kid. I know everybody. Yeah. I said, I'm going to go to Portland. He goes, everywhere but there. He said, everybody wants to go there. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because of short trips. So I went to Florida. That's where I went to work for Eddie Graham. Yeah, and how long? I was uh, I was noticing you didn't, st- you didn't stick around uh, Florida too long the first time. No, that was about eight months or two. Then they, well, what happened is I worked. They sent me to um, where was it? Um, they sent Charlotte. you to they sent you to Charlotte, didn't they? Yeah, no, but I went I went to work to one town in Charlotte, and Ole Anderson seen me, and he called the office. And I want that kid in Charlotte. Oh yeah, so that's how I end up going from there. Yeah. They need to really fill in for somebody. He seen me work with um, was like with the God, I can't think of the guy Rudy K. You ever heard of him? No, I, 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 I've heard of him, but I, I'm not familiar with, with Rudy Kay. Yeah, we went, we went to a, I remember we went to a drawer, and when I come to the back, oh, he said, you want to work for Charlotte Office? I said, hell yeah, because they were doing good, right? He, goes, he said, I'll yeah. get you down here. So he did. I thought he was kidding. He, he called two weeks later. I was in Charlotte. Yeah, I, but were you around, when you were in Florida, were you around uh, Eddie Graham enough to give me an idea of what he was like to you? What you your know impression what? about I wasn't really that much, but I tell you where I made one. I think a big mistake. I was there, and I remember I was only eighteen years old at the time, and yeah. I was getting bigger, right? And um, he goes, uh, he comes up to me in Orlando, and he puts his arm around me, and he kind of shot me. I mean, his, what's Eddie Graham talking me for? He goes, "Hey kid, listen, I want you to go to the Snake Pit, you know, in the office there in the." in Tampa. Yeah. He said, I want you to start working out with Hiro Shima. Oh, yeah. Hiro Matsuda. Matsuda, I'm sorry. Matsuda. Start working out with Hiro. He goes, and then if you you get good enough, I'm going to get you a break. And he says, but you need to learn how to do the amateur this and that. And I I looked at Eddie like an idiot, okay? And I went, sir, you know what? I know all I want to know about that amateur shit. I want want to know how to work. (laughs) (laughs) He he just looked at me and shook his head and walked off. (laughs) <laughs> oh no! So you never, so you never went to the sportatorium and trained with Hero. Mm-mm. No, let me darn. Well, we can talk about the sportatorium in a little while because in, in your book, um, you you talk about uh, the Portland Sports Arena when you uh, when you finally got there, and uh, and I wanted to compare that with the uh, the Dallas Sportatorium and uh, the Tampa Sportatoriums, all three three fine fine venues. Very nice venues. <laughs> yeah. It was first out because I came from uh, mid south and I, and I was in Dallas and, and you know working at Cotton Bowl, yeah, working at Texas Stadium, all that stuff, right? Yeah. And I come here, so where's y'all's big show? They go here to support a sports arena. I said this is the next bowling alley. Yeah. This is your big show? Yeah. I said, oh, shit, are you kidding me? Look good on TV, so, man. <laughs> and so then I go. Uh, but then after I got here, man, it's such a le- it's such a legendary place. And so uh, so many guys went through there. I really loved working there. I yeah. really did. I enjoyed it. But uh, that, going back, uh, sometimes I skip around a lot because of my hey, ADD. But going back, um, 
I, you know what the thing about in your book that I got a, a huge kick out of is how you you kept going back to the fact that Ole's such an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he is. Oh, I'm a big Ole Anderson fan, but as a, like a human being, he's a miserable prick. Oh no, you know he did. Like, here's what Ole did to me one time. I give you a story. I got along with Ole too, and I learned a lot about working from Ole. Yeah, he's really good at working, and he can. It's really helpful. But sometimes he's just a dick. To me. You know, it's like I was in uh, Marietta, Georgia, and I'm working with uh, Rick Martell. He's a great, great worker. We're in like third match. And yeah. so back then, you're not supposed to go out of the ring the first, not unless it's semi, or they call it, and then the main event. Yep. So him and Hanson are on top in the main event. So I go out there with Martell. We got carried away, got out on the floor. We're ass bumping each other on chairs and all kinds of shit. And they've got the crowd going crazy. When I come back, I cut the corner of the dressing room, only catch me by the throat and slams me against the wall. So you stupid son of a bitch, what are we going to do now? How are we going to follow that? So I'm just yeah. like, holy, holy crap. Finally gave him a start, I'm sorry. So yeah, if, I can't, if you do that again, your ass is fired, kid. You know you're not supposed to go out there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to have a good match. I got past that. The next week, they do a thing. Him and Hanson are in the main event again. Yeah. Yeah, some kind of hot finish. And I'm standing in the back watching how you watch the boys. I know it's going to be a hot finish to make sure, unless you got to go help or something or try to get them back to the dressing room. I'm standing back there like this, and I see a guy with his motorcycle helmet running wide open behind Ole, fixing to bust him in the head. Ole's looking right in my eyes. I didn't say a word. I just stared at him. Yeah. <laughs> Dog shit out of him. <laughs> he went down to one knee, got back up. When he got back to the dressing room, he's sitting across from me. He goes, you seen him, didn't you, asshole? Yeah, hell yeah! Speak up, brother. I didn't see him. I'd have done the. I'd have done the. I'd have done the same thing. I don't actually. I don't know. I, maybe not, but I'd like to think I would have let him get it. <laughs> oh, that guy knocked the hell out of me, man. Oh, that's great. Oh crap! Oh, right, there I go with the craps again. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Well, I I love the story where yeah. you took a fan out. For, uh, for rushing the ring from the book. I missed that and it, one. And, and um, the promoter ended up having to pay $150,000. Oh, that was Charlie Blanchard. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What happened was we were in, uh, in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. And, you know, we used to always watch each other's back. So me and Grappler 2 were standing out there. Our match is over. And Tully's doing his, the main event. And he comes toward the back. And it's in the winter. And this, and this, this big, tall Mexican guy is... He's giving up, uh, I mean, um, totally all kinds of bullshit. He's all up in his face. He's spitting on him. He's saying, your mama's this and dad, dad, dad. is away, carried away. And, and so they're like, so I see it's getting really heavy. So I said, Tony, let's go out there and take, get Tully back, man, before yeah. something happens, you know. So, I mean, he can handle his own, but we just want to watch his back. So we go out there. As soon as Tully sees us come out there, he takes a poke at the guy. Oh, uh, he grows his head. <laughs> <laughs> the guy ducks, right? It goes down his hands and knees, and Tully yanks his big coat over his head. And so I just, I had that big old thick boot, right? Yeah. I shoved Tully out of the way, and I just kicked him in the face. And when I kicked him, boss, with that big boot, he split his lip from here all the way up to his eye. Oh, damn. Knocked right out. He's laying out there flat on his back. So I grabbed Tully and said, let's go, let's go. We go in, and in Texas, they paid every night, paid cash, right? Right. So I'm waiting in line to get my cash and everything, and I get paid, and all right, let's just go, brother. 
getting ready to go. I opened the door like that, and the medics, he was still laying in the floor with medics around him. I'm like, holy shit. Oh, I'm going to kill this guy. Oh, let's get out of here. Let's get out of Corpus Christi, man. So we took off. So about two weeks later, man, the office got a, a thing from the mail and said uh, there's, the guy was suing him for $150,000 back then. Yeah. And then Tully's pissed at me. He goes, look what he did. They thought Tully did it, right? Because he last thing the guy seen was where he Tully looked, took a swing at him, right? And so finally somehow they got it turned around and stooged me off and sent them. I got, I got the big thing in the mail in my house. And I was on the road, and my dad said, Manny, you got a thing here. They're suing your ass for $150,000. And I go, tell you what, mail it back to them, put a note in there, tell them I'm in Japan. You don't think I'm ever coming back. Oh, right. <laughs> I never heard from them no more. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So, hey, um, Lenny, that, that was in San Antonio. That was yeah. the San Antonio. That was, that was for Tully and, uh, and his dad, Joe Blanchard? Yeah, Southwest Championship oh. Wrestling, yeah. Is that where you ran into Killer Carl Cox, or was, or was that when you uh, went to Georgia? No, I met Cox in, uh, in uh, Bill Watts' territory. Ah, uh, okay. I was I a met, bit... Actually, he was, in, no, he was in Florida, too. Well, yeah, and that I got to see him in Florida when I was really young. I was a big fan of uh, Killer Carl Cox. and, and oh, so Yeah, too. and his... Um, and you know, in your book, you talk about how much he busted your balls, and uh, and rode your ass. Uh, I just I remember um, his favorite saying was, "It takes a good man to beat me, but it doesn't take him long." <laughs> yeah. One time, Charlie, he's going like this. I'm sitting in the dressing room, and I just came into territory, and he goes, he kicks his boots out, yeah. and he starts lacing them. He laces them. He goes, he laces his boots. He looks up at me like that, and he goes, fourteen thousand one hundred two. I go, what? What? <laughs> 14,102. The next night, he don't say no more shit, nothing. Next night, he goes, 14,103. 14, I go, come on, dude. You ain't counting every time you let your <laughs> Damn. He did it for like a week, and he told me he's ribbing. You're right. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> you know, and, 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 the, and another thing in your book, you, uh, you mentioned that he didn't drink. And, you know... That was a surprise to me, and maybe it's wrong of me for making these assumptions, but when I looked at him and watched him and heard him talk on TV, he just came off like a guy that would love his beer, you know? Uh, oh, kind of a Dick Mur- kind of like Dick Murdoch, you know? Murdoch, damn sure drink, buddy. Woo! And they're both, Mur- and they're bo- they're both Marines, and uh, uh, but, yeah. you know, uh, I was, like I said, a big Killer Carl Cox fan, and eventually he, he warmed up to you, and it was fun. The, the story, uh, you know, the rib that he played on the boys uh, with you. Um, you want to talk about that? Oh yeah, it was Jerry. It was Jerry Oates, and he he, he got Jerry Oates involved in it. I was in it. We're in the dressing room. This is uh, way back, man. I was think I was like eighteen or nineteen, and, and I'm in a dressing room, and uh, Cox comes in, or he's sitting over there. And he's got nothing on but his wrestling boots and a pair of pink bikini underwear. <laughs> we're sitting on the far side. Back then, it was it was in a newsroom, and all, all these typewriters. Yeah. They didn't have computers back then. <laughs> That's how far back it was. Unbelievable. So me and the Moondog, Larry Booker, and Carl Fergie, and all these underneath guys, we're all in the corner, and we're peeking around our bags at Carl. And so Carl gets up. He, he's got a, uh, a 30 out 6 uh, Rifle, rifle. He's got a pistol with a big scope on it. He's got a pistol. He had a pistol hanging in one side of his underwear when he's standing to hang almost all the way down to his knee. 
Yeah. Right? <laughs> He's pointing at us with the scope, looking at us over there on the other side of the room, staring at all the job guys, all the underneath guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> Riding behind our bags and all that, right? This guy's just insane, dude. And so uh, he finally gets up, he puts it on his shoulder like an army guy and marches over. He looks at us, he goes, I'm going to get one of you little bastards on TV today, and if I do, if you potato me, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Right? So I go, oh, no, no. It wasn't five minutes later, man. Watts would come out of the bathroom and say, okay, Ted Oates and this guy, whoever's wrestling in the next match, he's giving a finish to. He comes out, he goes, Cox. <laughs> and everybody, like, cinched up. Like, oh, no. He goes, Denton. Oh, almost shit. Uh. <laughs> and they go, he's going to kill you. Everybody goes, he's going to kill you, brother. I go, man, shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> I go in there, and, the, and, he, and Cox looks at me and goes like this, and I'm scared of hell. Cox looks at me and he goes, hey, the guys are scared as hell of me, aren't they? He says, yes, sir. He goes, well, look, I want you to help me with this. I want to pull a rib on them. I go, you hear me? I go, yes, sir. I was scared not to. You right. I go, he goes, okay. He goes, okay, so when we go back out, you got to finish it? Yeah, he goes, we go back out. He says, when you, I'm going to chew your ass. You turn around, I'm going to kick you in the ass. You turn around, grab a chair, and throw it at me. I, I, don't worry, I'll duck. Yeah. And then Ted Oates will break us up. I go, okay, you sure? He goes, yeah. So then I, he did it, man. He kicked me in the ass, turned out through the chair in his ass, bounced off the wall. Watts come running out of it. He was all pissed off at us. That's and crazy. And Oates got in between us. I said, you ever kick me again like that? Carl Cox, let me chase When I got back, this guy said, you crazy, man. That man's going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> he had him scared to death, um, man. You know, when I read that, Len, uh, you know what what occurred to me was um, – do you think maybe more than trying to rib the boys, he was trying to give you kind of an endorsement and, and you know, lift you up in the eyes of the rest of the locker room? Like, I think he was opening <clears throat> kind of like, okay, kid, accepting me. Yeah, I'm exactly. Sure the other guys, too. He's starting to accept this kid. Come on, he's one of us. Exactly. Well, he wouldn't have put me in that rib. That, that, was, what I, that was, what I, that was uh, what I took from that story. I got you. I felt that way, too, later. Sean, I'll tell you one. I don't know if it's in my book or not. I don't remember, but one with Harley Race, right? Yeah. I was, I was booking in Kansas City, my first booking job, right? Harley and Gimme. And so I was there, and they sent us to, I've been booking about six months, and they sent us to way across Kansas, some uh, a fair date, right? And they and I, I heard that they get $10,000 a year for this one particular fair date, yeah. which is great money, right? And so we go there, and it's dusty. It's outside show. I had to work in the first match. The, the guy who had the damn card cut down so far. I worked the first match in a tag match and in a battle royal. Yeah. <laughs> Three times, and there's no shower. It's 300 miles home. So I come out of there, and I look at Tony, you know, my partner, Tony Anthony. Yes. And uh, guy who pulls up in his Cadillac right before we're getting ready to leave, and he goes, hey, hey, guys, Lenny. I said, yes, sir. He goes, he says, can you do me a favor? I said, what he goes, the newscaster up there, he wants to, in the ring, he wants to do an interview. Can you go do an interview for him? So plug for next year's show. I go, you want me to wash your damn dishes too, Farley? Bob? <laughs> he goes, get your ass up for a minute. I said, okay, okay, okay. So I went over there, right? And I'm leaning against the ring, John, and yeah. uh, this guy comes over to me and he goes, Mr. Grappler, can you do me a favor? I go, what? He goes, he says, when I hit the call letters on the station, can you come in and pick me up like you're going to slam me and turn my head toward the camera so I can close out like that and look great for news tonight? I go, yeah, no problem, dude. I'll do it. Okay? Yeah. 
So I was waiting like this. I'm leaning against the ring, and the guy opens up the interview like this. Hey, everybody, we're at the fair here, channel, whatever. And he goes, hey, um, you know, this we had a good fun night tonight because everybody knows wrestling's fake. Oh, hell no. First thing he says out his mouth. He goes, all the fans have fun. They enjoyed all the fake wrestling. The wrestlers are in here playing around with each other, having glass, having to get that. I, I tapped Tony. I said, what's this bullshit, buddy? So the guy hit the call letters. I went in and belly back him right on his damn head and knocked him out. Nice. I grabbed him and I slapped as hard as I could. And I grabbed the mic and said, what'd you call wrestling, son? And he got up doing the crapping, right? I, I said, let's go. Let's get out of here, Tony. I'm all bragging, happy, right? We get in the car. We go get our beer. We're heading down the highway. And I'm drinking. I got to about the third beer and it dawned on me. i got to be at the office in the morning. And Harley's going to be there. And I probably just lost next year's fair day. Maybe. <laughs> he, yeah. I said, he's going to kill me. Harley's going to kill my ass. All of a sudden, the party stopped. I'm like, oh, shit. All the way home. So the next morning, I went in the office. This is a true story. Next morning, I went in the office, and I knew I had my, my office door just cracked a little bit, right? And I heard somebody come in, and I seen that his briefcase go by. His cow, he had a cowhide briefcase. I went, oh, shit. He's here, right? He gets all the way to the back in his office. I hear him go, Lenny, get your ass down here. I went, oh, God, here we go. So I go down there, and yeah, Harley squinch his eyes and look at you, he's smoking that cigarette. Yep. He goes, what the hell happened to that fair boy? I said, Roddy. I said, I said hey, hey, Harley, listen, brother. Before you, I just, well, just like this. Before you start kicking my ass, let me explain myself. He goes, you okay? It better be good, boy. So I told him exactly what happened. Yeah. He takes about two more drags. He looks at me and goes like this. Next time my asshole says that, you need to pull his eye out or something. Or break his damn arm, boy. Good job. Next time somebody says something like that, you break his arm or pull his eye out. (laughs) He goes, good job, man. Good job. Thanks for protecting the business. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Lenny, when when you finally put the hood on, uh, tell me about the, you know, going from not wearing a hood to all of a sudden having to work with one of those damn things on. I worked one time with the hood on, and I'll never do it again. Well, I tell you, those kind you get, it used to get a K&H. And K&H, and all time. yeah. God, it choked me to death. Terrible. Somebody gets you in a headlock, and you have it all turned and everything. They're the, one, could, they're the uh, ones that look like the old wrestle, Mr. Wrestling 2 mask. That, yeah, that, that yeah. kind, that kind, yeah. yeah. I couldn't wear those either, man. It choked me to death. But then I got the one that fitted to your face, and it tightens up in your nose. Yeah. You know, it's not pressing hard, messing your sinuses. But um, how it happened was, I was in um, I was in Charlotte at the time, and I actually was getting ready to quit the business. I said, I tried to get a break. It's almost five years now. I said, I'm going to do this run because my first wife was from there. I was letting her visit her folks. I saw probably be eight months, maybe a year. Yeah. Then I'm going home back to Texas, and I'm just going to get a job. And I was here in, uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, and I was walking down the hall, coming back from the gym at the hotel while the boys were at, and uh, Gene Lewis goes, hey, Lenny, he yells at his door as I walk by. He goes, come here. He said, I got Buck Robley on the phone, and he wants to talk to you about a spot. I said, where at? He said, Mid-South. So mm. That's when Mid-South was really hot with Junkyard Dog and all three birds and everything. And I talked to him. He goes, Lenny, you wear a mask, don't you? And I go, I go, yeah, I wear a mask. But I had wore some in Atlanta. For only some, you know, I call myself the challenger. Yeah. Just to do jobs, you know. Yeah, just so you can do the job and work twice. One with the hood and one without the hood. <laughs> <laughs> and get paid once. Times, uh, 
One day I worked seven times because of that. And how many <laughs> did, did you get paid seven times? <laughs> seven times. I worked twice on the on the. Uh, let's see, it was uh, two times on the um, uh, Atlanta TV. Yeah. I worked two times on the um, uh, Columbus TV. The, uh, like it's three o'clock show they yep. had, and then I went to a spot show. And I worked the first match, and then with the mask, and it worked about a row seven times. Yeah, I one day. <laughs> so, so how many times did you get paid for those seven uh, matches you had? One time per per show. Yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> good deal. <laughs> good deal for the promoter. Look yeah. at all the experience you're getting, kid. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the the boot came along with the mask. Is that right? I was going to say. So, um, what was happened was when Robley talked to me, he goes, "What do you call yourself?" And I. Don Carnoodle, I don't know if you know him. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Me and him had just talked about this like two days before on the road. He said, you know, if I ever wore, if I ever wore a mask, I'd call myself the grappler. I go, why? He goes, oh, it's Greek. It means wrestler in yep. Greek or some bunch of shit. So when he said that, something popped in my head. I just went, oh, I call myself the grappler. That's a pretty good name. Okay. It's a great name. <laughs> it's a great Don name. Carnoodle shit. Yeah. Don <laughs> Carnoodle. That's how that happened. And then when I got there... Bill Watts says, okay, we're going to do this uh, this thing. Um, like They used to have a guy there called Mr. X, a Dr. X. And he had the loaded boot years before me. Right. And they so and uh, they, they were just bringing it back, so they did it with me. But, you know, um, I was telling guys the other day, I remember, like, I was, I'd been there about two months, and we're in Shreveport, Louisiana, and Bill Watts flies in on his charter plane, his own private plane, and he's down at Shreveport. He's sitting on the on the end of the stage down there, you know. And there's a stage between the good guys on one side, fate, uh, heels on the other. Yeah. And so I'm working with Orndorff that night, and he says, uh, "I see Watson. When the hell's Watson here? It ain't TV tomorrow. Why is he here?" Orndorff, thank God for Paul. He slipped around. Back then, you get fired if they catch you doing this. He slipped around and got in the heel side. He said, "Lenny, come here." I go, "What's up?" He goes, "Brother, you know why Watson's here? Watts told me this just a while ago." He's here to watch our match tonight. He said, "If you don't, if you don't like what he sees, he said, if he likes what he's going to see, he's going to push you. Yeah. If he don't, he's going to give you a notice." I said, "No shit, Paul." Goes, yeah, I go, brother. Let me call the match. And we went thirty minutes through that night, and then after that, I got, he, he, Paul come over and says, "Hey, he liked it, brother. He's going to give you the push." Nice. So it worked out. I appreciate it. But, uh, Man, I, I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in in your book. Uh, you talk about, and, and this must have been in in your first uh, trip, or, or maybe it was this trip you, uh, to Mid-South you're talking about. Um, you thought you were doing really good, and and uh, Bill Watts brings you in and tells you, like, you're talented, basically, and you're doing really good, but, you know, you're not quite there yet, and you need to leave to get to the next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first time I was there. Yeah. That was the first time because I and then I got because I had I got the size I'd been really training hard I looked apart and all but I needed more experience you know and so it, it just moved me on that's when he said yeah I can get you anywhere and and that's something that guys you know today uh, I think should keep in mind like uh, that he was right you know if no, if, yeah. if Lenny if you didn't leave like you know the people would just they would remember you as the guy that was jerking the curtain or putting guys over on TV or losing every night. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So yeah. you have to go away and come back, you know, with a different look or a hood or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. So. I, I went to Mid-South one time after the grappler thing, 
that's dirty white boys. And yeah, well, I was going to get to that, the dirty white boys. We get over good in the Mid-South. And Watts kept trying to get me to, he goes, you know what? He said, you're not doing this gimmick the right way. He yeah. said, you're the dirty white boys. You need to get, roll around in the dirt and get grease all over your face and all over it before you do promos. I go, what? <laughs> I'm not doing that. I just didn't feel comfortable doing that. I was yeah. like, we're supposed to be like bikers. We're supposed to be like dirty guys. Like yeah. Guys, uh, homeless people. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, and, and, and one other time, uh, Len, you, uh, and I am skipping around here, but uh, you're, you complained to Bill about not getting paid enough because somebody else yeah, was getting paid more than you. What a mistake that was. Yeah. I, I always knock uh, the Ultimate Warrior about his thing in WWE, but I, it wasn't as, quite the same money that I left off. Right. But I was in the Superdome, and I worked with a Junkyard Dog, right? And I, and I know the dog was bragging about getting five grand payoff yep. that one show. And so I got my check for the whole week, and, he, and I think he gave me two grand. Yeah. So Which is a hell, that's pretty damn good money. Next, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, I was just going to interject. That's pretty good. That's pretty damn good money for for the time. Oh yeah, I, I was I was averaging three grand a week. Okay, at that damn. time, way back then. And so I had a house paid for, I had a Lincoln paid for, and a brand new Silverado pickup paid for it, cash in the bank. Yeah, that wasn't enough though, of course. <laughs> so I got, yeah. And so I'm, I'm riding from a trip. I had Dusty with me. And I go, Dusty, and I tell Dusty about it. I'm bitching about it. He goes, Dusty goes, baby, let me ask you something, baby. That's what he goes, how old are you? I said, 21. He goes, 21, baby. You know anybody, how much you average in a week? I said, about three grand. He goes, you know any of your friends, 21, average three grand a week? I go, no. He goes, I think I'll be quiet, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and just go ahead and work the shows. I go, no, man, I ain't letting that guy treat my ass like that. Dusty, hell no. I thought I knew more than everybody. Well, so then we got a call that only wanted us in, uh, me and Scott Irwin, the Super Destroyer, he wanted us, he was going to bring us to Charlotte, and we're going to work an angle with the Youngbloods, and we're going to take the world title, tag titles. Yep. I said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll make more money. That was a big con just to get me out of the territory. I got there. The last week I worked for, well, the, let's see, like I was here about two months, and my, my check right before I left was $300. The, the whole check. The big the $300. And I put in 3,000 miles to make nice. that. I went into Ole. He's always such a nice guy. I went to Ole and said, Ole, look. I threw the check down in his office. I go, hey, on his desk. I said, I can't feed my family this shit like his buddy. He goes, and let him starve. I get you something. I started, he goes, you know what? You can jump across this desk. You can start kicking on my ass, but it ain't getting you nowhere, kid. You screwed up. And I said, you know, he said, go back and think about it. I go, yeah, he was right. Though. He was right. I, unfor- I mean, it, that's a really tough way to learn that lesson, Len. It's a hard way. That's a hard Damn. way to learn it. Yeah. And sometimes we do have to learn lessons from assholes. You <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Hey, exactly. that's what I, I mean. If they're here for something, let it be for that. So. <laughs> I got you, boss. Oh, wow, man. So, hey, Glenn, uh, Len, when when you decided, okay, we're going to do this boot uh, gimmick that that Doctor X did. Um, yeah. Uh, he did the loaded boot thing uh, too, right? Now, um, I always, I always thought that there must be something about the boots that at least kept, you know, 
it looked like they were, uh, you know, one was, you know, had a bigger soul than the other. But I assume that, you know, the other boot had to be like similar or else you'd be lopsided. But I guess you walked around lopsided all those years. <laughs> did that screw that's your what's, did that's that, what's wrong with me? Did that screw your back up? Did that no, screw your back up? On the other side, on your left, on my left boot, the same size soles on the inside. Oh, good. On the outside, the other one. Good, because in your so in your book, in, you know what I got really good on that one. Yeah, I got a uh, let's see, um, hell was his name? Um, not Eddie Guerrero. Um, Art Bar. No, no, not uh, it was uh, Guerrero. Uh, the deck, the older one, the deck. Hector. Chavo Mondo, Mondo Hector. Chavo, Chavo Guerrero. Yeah. We were working for uh, <laughs> working for uh, Florida. Uh, Tully, no, I was in Tully. No. I was in Florida with him, but with Tully Blanchard, right? And um, in his territory, so I'm sitting in a dressing room, and my dad comes in. And he's my dad was running after I've been to business five or six years. He started running spot shows for Joe Blanchard. And I'm going, what are you doing? He said, I like doing this stuff, man. I go, okay, whatever. Yeah. So, but my dad actually had one leg short than the other from when he was a kid, where he had an accident. So he limped, and so he walks by. He says something to me. He limps by, and Chavo's looking at him. <laughs> he looks at me. and says, man, you're an asshole, dude. Wow. <laughs> your dad for a gimmick you copy and you're making fun of your dad i said no i'm you dumbass i ain't doing that i said i got one leg shorter too he goes really i said yeah and so when i, I believe all I that match, i went out work to match and i come back and he's sitting right across from me now i gotta take a shower and take my boots off right and i go how am i gonna con this guy so i took my clothes off and i put my shots sitting down the chair i didn't stand up and I put my foot in the shower shoe and raised my heel up and walked into the shower. Right? Nice. He's looking at me like he's trying to catch me. And I started out taking a shower. So he yanks the curtain open like that. And I go, what are you doing? I still have my heel up. I knew he was coming. Yep. He goes, oh, you run off. Excuse me. Excuse me. And then I got dressed. And I walked by a regular cowboy boot. said, you're, you're a dumb Mexican. You know that? Uh, <laughs> you go for anything, boy. <laughs> Len, I, I used to... I, I, I'm still wondering what it was that was inside the sole. So when you tapped it on your on your toe, something would move from the heel down into the toe. So when you kicked the guy, it would knock him out. Now I believed yeah. all that, even though I was pretty sure wrestling was a work. I still was caught up in that whole deal because you got it over, and everybody sold the hell out of it. The greatest one I ever heard a fan come up with. I thought this is good. He goes, "I know how you do that, grappler. I know exactly what's in that boot." I go, "What is it, buddy?" Because when you tap that toe, it heats up, and you got, like, mercury in the back, and it all goes toward the front. That <laughs> was it. I, got, I go, really? I said, that's a good idea. You're right. You're how, right. Did, how did he know? <laughs> how did he know? Wow, did somebody stooge it off? No. Uh, so I, re- I remember, because I was there at the Sportatorium at TV this, this morning, uh, or this one morning, and uh, Billy Jack, got the boot away from you and sawed the sole off on TV. And I was oh, waiting yeah, to find out what yeah, was inside yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was waiting to find out. Was, so he exposed the boot as, as not having anything inside of it. I didn't understand I that. That was dumb. That was dumb. It was stupid. I, I remember when I left there, I'm trying to think, because I remember that Eddie Guerrero was working there and the Cuban assassin, Dave Sierra. Yeah, Dave Sierra. No more. They, they said, can you leave the boot? Can you leave the boot here, and we're going to have a match over there. So they had a match where they put the boot on a pole. Yeah. Okay, and they fight and get the boot in my boot. You know, so I was booked in Dallas for Fritz, right? And so the guy comes in and brings me a program, 
And I'm on the first match in Dallas, and my boot's in the main event in Tampa. Nice. Hey, what the hell? Did your boot? Hey, John, they never did send my boot back to him. Sorry, yeah. asshole. Oh, <laughs> son of a bitch. Boots. I was wondering if your boot ever got a payoff for that. But, um, <laughs> no, your boot ended up in the trash with a sawed-off heel. Because I was there and saw it. It's bullshit, man. They still owe you money for that. I know. <laughs> I know. Mm. There goes the crap. Hey, so I was hey, uh, marking the booth. I was uh, I was thinking about this match um, with uh, Lynn. It was uh, you and uh, Scott Irwin as Super Destroyer because you were just talking about going to uh, um, Charlotte and working with uh, you know Steamboat. Was it Steamboat and Youngblood or Briscoes? Yeah, Steamboat and Youngblood. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, the match that I saw was was you and Scott Irwin versus Jake Roberts, and uh, and I believe it was was it Steamboat? Yeah, Ricky Steamboat it was a hell of a TV match, it's an yeah. excellent TV match. We actually have a clip of it. But um, you and you and Tony or you and Scott Irwin were a fantastic team before uh, before you and Tony Anthony teamed up. Oh, I know. I love Scotty, man. He was just. He was a good guy. He had a heart like a big kid. You know, yes. we had so much fun, man. He yeah. pa- he passed away uh, um, yeah. uh, complication from brain tumor. I remember. I, know, I love Scott to death. Man. Yeah, we we had a blast. We had, we did so much crap. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, the first guy that I ever saw, just like you said in your book, uh, to do the superplex up the top yes, rope. Yes, just true. really agile. And, and I'm watching this match, and uh, the people at home that, that are watching this, they can see this match. And what a great TV match this is. And you guys wrestled. And, uh, and I mean, just nonstop here. And it was wrestling. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if it would get over now. I would like to think so. But it was such good stuff, man. And... Uh, and Those guys are remarkable workers, everyone. Yeah. Them, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, the thing about mask guys, Len, is it's sometimes, you know, uh, they would take a mask and just throw it on a guy so he could do a job on TV. Right, right. You know, right. and then there's the mask guys like you, the assassin, Mr. Wrestling 2, you know, guys like that, that, you know, you know that that's even with the mask like what i guess what i'm getting at is they could try to put the mask on somebody else and call him the grappler but no they wouldn't know it wasn't him you know you You know it's funny here i i took the mask off because i was here so long i took it off trying to paint my face yeah people go put the mask back on dude i was thinking the same thing (laughs) but most of them was was saying hey uh put it on because you're not the grappler without the mask right just ain't the same we don't like it, you know? Yeah, I wasn't... Are you, are you from Minneapolis, Sean? I'm, I'm actually from, from Tampa, St. Pete, and Minneapolis. Ah, okay. Because, um, you know, uh, you know a lot of, like, uh, uh, Rick Rude and, of course. and Scott, Scott Norton? Of course. Very well. Very you know, well. Uh, you know John Nord? John Nord, yeah. And, and your talk... <laughs> you know, you talk about him in your book, and he is one of the great characters oh, that's boy. ever, ever been in the wrestling industry. What a sweetheart of a guy, but at the same time, that guy is a monster. What oh, yeah. a machine. Hey, did you know, okay, uh, uh, Kevin Nash, when, when he was uh, his first run as world champion in WWE, they called him Big Daddy Cool. Did you know that John Nord was the original Big Daddy Cool? That was his nickname in, in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was Big Daddy Cool. But. You know, Scott Norton came in here. 
I love Scotty too, you know. I yeah. mean, me and Norton are best friends, you know. Still are. But he Scott Norton came in here and he was like the world arm champion champion wrestler, you That's know, right. wrestler. And he brought it he, he shows up at T V, he's great as hell, and he's got his arm wrestling bench in the locker room. I'm like, What is this guy doing? <laughs> he's only supposed to do his arm wrestle much and so we started working a thing with him and, and brought him along, but I will never forget, man, I was working a show, it's just a small show, and uh, uh, Sandy Barr was, was running, the, it was his town. Yep. Uh, Barr's dad, he used to referee here, and Sandy was downstairs, there's a downstairs dressing room, and uh, there's like a big picnic table, we're all sitting around it before I went up to wrestle my match with Scotty, and Sandy, in the middle of the table, had a walkie-talkie. Now, his security guy, or guy rang the bell, had a walkie-talkie, Okay, Sandy had to talk to him on his side of his belt, right? <laughs> Sitting there ringside. So we get out there, and I'm wrestling Scott, and I call a spot, and he hit me with a clothesline so hard, brother. Oh, no. I felt like I stuck my finger in a light socket. I, mean, I just went, damn. And I just melted through the ropes. I hit the floor, and I started trying to climb up, and I ended up with my hand on the guy's chair to ring the bell. I seen that walkie-talkie. And I remember all the guys downstairs, and I grabbed it, and I pushed the button, and I went, Mayday, Mayday, get some out here. This bastard's killing me. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They all come running out of the dresser and laughing their ass. <laughs> Including Sandy. Scott, brother, he was tough. Yes. He, I, there's stories about him, just like uh, legendary stories about his days in Minneapolis as, as, you know, barely old enough to be bouncing in the bars and just taking on, you know, 10 guy. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous and like an exaggeration, but I mean, he was that guy that would clean out a whole bar, like the old Dr. Dust Steve Williams yeah. stories. Heck yeah, you're right, brother. I believe it with him. Yeah. Was, you know, the, uh, he done those, those uh, commercials with Rhino Lures. Yeah. And they with a big rhino head. Yeah. I used to call him rhino. That's what I call him all the time, right? Oh. <laughs> I, call him, I call him the cement mixer. No kidding. Oh, boy. You ever heard from Nord lately? What's Nord been up to? Anybody know? John Nord? Yeah. I, the last, I saw him a couple of years ago at a convention in Newark, and that's a, yeah. I hadn't heard, heard from or about him in... In a long time, and and I hadn't heard from him since. But I ask I ask how different guys are doing in the, in in the area, and I haven't really heard anything about him. I got you. I got you. Huh. I mean, actually, he called me from that one in Newark. Him and the Nasty Boys, I think, were there, right? That's right. Oh, that's yeah. a that's a hell. Oh, I mean, they're in hell, man. <laughs> of course, they were. Poor John was probably trying to be a good boy, and he, you know, he runs into the Nasty Boys, and that's all she wrote. I hear you, buddy. Oh, hey, I, I, um, I was uh, in in one part of your book. You talk about Ox Baker and your uh, your experiences yeah. with Ox, and another, you know, back in those days, there's so many colorful characters in wrestling that you just don't see today, you know, and uh, you know, for people that don't remember Ox. Uh, he did, like you said in, in in the book, he looked like Genghis Khan. He had the big old mutton chop, you know. Uh, uh, Fu Manchu gimmick and eyebrows. Uh, yeah, and and he was in Escape from New York with, with Kurt Russell. And a lot of people don't know he used to uh, paint his toenails. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, fancy. <laughs> he was a classic man. Yeah, Ox was something else. I, I never forget Ox one time. I started doing this move where I jump on the second, I slam a guy, jump on the second rope, and come off with an elbow on the guy. Yeah. So Ox seen me do it. You know, we're working in Knoxville. He goes, hey, Lenny, brother, uh, you think I can do that? 
Oh, Lord have mercy. His arms are so clumsy, bro. Yes. So the next night, he goes, I'll see him look back at me. He goes, here it comes. He slams the guy. He gets on the second rope. Jumps off, lands on his feet in his ass, and then he drops the elbow. Beautiful. (laughs) That's a... When? That's exactly... When you started this story, that's exactly how I pictured it ending. Exactly. Yes. You know what happened. Yeah, Oxbanger, to me, one of the, as far as on, you know, behind the mic, one of the greats, uh, may it rest in peace, uh, wasn't the greatest in-ring talent. But, you know, everybody had their strong suits, Len. And, and, the, and the thing about Ox was he was the one, and this is before people even really thought about things like this, uh, he was the one that told you to get a catchphrase. Yes, he did. See, without him, I would have never had that. Yeah. He goes, Lenny, you talk okay on TV. You know, I wasn't good as, like, like Ox or Flair or something like that. Because you got you got enough to get your gimmick over good. But he goes, you got to have something they remember you by. Yeah. You just close out and you're done. He goes, oh, I'm going to have a cage match and that, or something like that. They, so then he's thought about that for two weeks. And I remember he snapped his fingers like this right down the road. Piper used to do that. I don't know where that comes from. Yes. I'm trying to think of something, right? Finally, he looks at me and goes, well, I got in to go some show with him after about a couple of weeks. And he goes, I got you, kid. I got you. You know how deep his voice was, right? Yes. So you got a name for you when you're the greatest wrestler in wrestling today. They don't call you a great wrestler. They call you the grappler. Beat me if you can. He goes, go like that. I said, you do that, Ox. Yes, bro, it was great. I loved that it. That is great. I've been using that ever since, you know? Yeah. Just so, and he said, here's another thing. He says, remember that catchphrase, because if you're in the middle of an interview and you forget what the hell you're talking about, just say that till you remember. Exactly. Said, Many times I've used that. And, and you know, <laughs> every, every time Ox uh, talked on TV, he would tell everybody, I like to beat people up. Especially kids. Yep. <laughs> so how did you feel when Taz and ECW was using that as like his catchphrase? Yes. How did you feel about that? Were you I, like, oh, this is a tribute? Or were you like, this guy's stealing my shit? Who was doing that? Taz and ECW, he would do beat me if you can. And then he'd add survive if I let you. Len. At the end. Len. Oh, I, don't, I didn't hear it. Yeah. Len, Jim, Jimbo and Booth is, a, is the wrestling super fan. So it, it might be easy for him to think that everybody knows about Taz uh, stealing that catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you know he stole your catchphrase, how do you feel about this? Well, whenever that happens, that's just like uh, somebody. If, you, if they steal something like that, it's like them putting you over. Sure. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, they're just the biggest form of flattery is uh, somebody imitates you. You know what I mean? I, yeah, stuff. I don't really. Like that. Yeah. I don't look at it as stealing. Like if, especially if somebody else isn't doing it anymore. Like I yeah. will. I like. I think it's proper to footnote somebody, but uh, you know, I, I call it appropriation, not theft. And yeah, and, <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Inspiration. Well, there ain't nothing sacred in wrestling. Right. And inspiration <laughs> and appropriation. So, uh, yeah, but we're just trying to get you to talk shit about Taz so we can get some headlines. (laughs) (laughs) Well, talking about the colorful characters that were around, of course, Michael Hayes would definitely land on that list. Let's talk a little bit about you turning down the offer from WWF when he called you up. I got you. Yeah, it's when everything started kicking off in WWF and guys were getting big contracts and Piper's over there and... But me and Roddy had started this transmission shop, right? Piper's pissed up. 
Huh? Piper's Pit Stop. Piper's Pit Stop. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie came to me when Don Owens was getting out of the business and closing. Vince was putting him out of business. And he goes, he comes to me and goes, Lenny, you're the only person I would trust my money with or uh, my family or anything like that that I know. And he goes, I want to open a small business, you know, in, in this town. I go, okay. He said, so I, I got in that. I was already doing commercials for a guy down the shop, and I was getting into it. And so I, I learned a little bit about it. And so I ended up opening that transmission shop. And then I promised Roddy if he invested the money that I wouldn't walk out and leave it. Right. And so, of course, a year later, we got the shop going. He invested the money to buy the property and everything. And then Michael Hayes called me. Hey, Lenny, we got a spot for you over here. Like, yeah. Be <laughs> right? But I gave the man my word, so I wouldn't do it. You know, he actually called me twice. I think. I, twice, and, three times. Yeah. When I was reading that, um, when I was reading that part of your book, uh, you, you said Michael told you that guys were making a lot of money there. I got, I was there at the time, and I begged to differ. Sounds like he was just trying. Yeah, man. I'm like, I wonder what money is he talking about. Exactly. Yeah, you, we we would show like at that point, um, if we got a draw on the road, Lenny, we uh, we wouldn't get anything on our paycheck. A lot of times. So I mean, you know, maybe you would have been making some money. But maybe they had a you know something in mind for you on a higher spot than I was, but. <laughs> Oh, that was buttermilk run at the time. You made the right decision, Len. Yeah, maybe so. Oh, you did. You did. You did. Oh. So, um, I guess we'll fast forward to, uh, to the, like, the Portland days. And, uh, and you talk about Dynamite Kid. We, um, how, how did you feel about Dynamite? Did, um, a lot of people... You know, have told me stories, you know, about, you know, his ribs and, you know, like just he was a dark, you know, uh, kind of a dark soul. And uh, yeah. um, what was your experience with Dynamite? Well, Dynamite, I, when I first met him, I was in, doing a tour in Germany. Yeah. And him and Bret Hart were over there. And uh, I met him and Bret at the same time. And, um, and we almost fought the first time we met, me and Dynamite. Because... Uh, uh, Moose Murawski, I don't know if you know who I know is. Moose. He, Moose is from uh, Vancouver. Yes, he is. Yeah. Moose got me booked over there out of Charlotte. And he was there. And uh, when I remember in Charlotte, he just bragged and bragged about Dynamite Kid. Oh, this kid's on. Wait till you see this guy. He's unbelievable. He can do so many different flips and this and that and all these things. So when he come walking in the dressing room, he weighs about 130 pounds, right? Yeah. I, I was about 250 at the time. I look at him, I go, is this a little bastard you're telling about right in front of Tommy, right? Tommy goes, he bows up straight to fight, man. Moose had to get between us. <laughs> I said, hey, calm down, dude. I'm just ribbing. Yeah. Holy shit. And so finally, we got it together. But then we, we were dressing right beside each other. We hit it off. And then he, and, and even to the point where he goes, hey, Lenny, he said, where'd you get those boots you're wearing? You know, I had them made in Houston. He goes, well, can I try them out? So I let him wear them, work a match, right? And he locked them. We wore the same size shoe, right? And so he uh, he says here he gives me money to leave to send him uh, some boots get some orders just like them for him to send him to Calgary where he's going back to. But we hit it off good. But I know exactly where people are coming from because I've seen the ribs that he's pulled on people. Yeah, he's lucky he hadn't been killed. Right. It's like really pull some heavy stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, I mean, eventually it ended up, you know, 
catching, uh, up, with him for, with. catching up with him with the you know the stuff with Jacques Rougeau. But uh, yeah. anyway, but I just I was always a huge fan of Dynamites, and he was he was a big inspiration for for my style. And uh, yeah, here's uh, what Dynamite did for me. Here's the kind of guy on the other side of the coin he could be. I can know he's dark one way. So I made those. I got. I went back to Houston. I had those boots made for him, right? Sure. And so the guy gave them to me, <laughs> and I took them home, and I'm going to mail them to Dynamite Calgary. Now I have no idea, Sean, I'm ever going to be in Calgary. I ain't planning on going to Calgary. No way. So I go and I get these boots, and I look out in my backyard. I'm in Texas now. Yeah. In a neighbor's backyard, I got a Shetland pony, so there's horse shit everywhere, right? <laughs> I got to get some dried horse shit and put it in a plastic bag. Wrap it up, stick it in one of the boots. I said, hey, brother, I just want to send you some Texas gold. Have yeah. Hope you have a good time, and I mailed it to him, right? So I, about two months later, I went to Knoxville. Shit didn't, stuff didn't work out. I get booked. Alex Baker helped me get booked in Calgary. Oh, lovely. I pull up at the, the, the apartments where I was supposed to meet my guys, and the guy on the second floor is dynamite. He's looking down at me as I get out of the cab. And he's shaking that bag of shit at me. Oh, he kept it. Oh, no, no, no. I said, Tommy, time out, brother. It was just a rib. (laughs) He's, oh, yeah, you got one coming back, brother. Hello, Mike. How you doing? And? And? What he did, he was flying out to Japan the next day. And the next day, uh, I forget the guy's Tom Stanton, I think is his name. Tom Stanton was rooming with him. He comes over and knocks on where I was standing. He goes, hey. Tommy told me to take you out for a steak for for uh, for dinner tonight. And he had he left him like sixty bucks, seventy bucks something. Yeah. And, and I thought he's joking. He said, "No, he told me. He said you're his friend. Take him out, buy him a steak. He's new in town. That's what he did. And Tommy's on the way to Japan at the time. So I mean, he would do stuff like uh, that. Wait a minute. I'm waiting for you to That's tell not me. A rib. Wait a minute. I'm waiting for you. No, to... I... I'm waiting, Lenny, for you to tell me that you went and had the steak dinner, and then after you ate the steak, he told you you ate somebody's dog or something. Yeah, that's yeah, Mr. No, Fuji yeah, style. No. Right? That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> 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 oh, gosh. And uh, it, so uh, Stu tried to get you to uh, get on the mat with him in the dungeon, and you passed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I went down there with one of his sons. Um, Bruce. Wasn't Bruce? I started. Well, no, it was uh, Smith. Not Smith. Not Bruce. Ross. Wayne. <laughs> Owen. Which one? No, it was not Owen. It <laughs> Wait, was, there's like uh, seven more. Yeah, there's a. <laughs> geez, I'm, there's a I'm down there lifting weights, and this dude comes down. Shakes my hand. <clears throat> he said, hey, "You want to uh, try out and kind of push around on the mat a little bit? Yeah, come on." I go, "Hey," I says, "Do listen." I know all I need to know about that mat, friend, okay? Yeah. I started to work out, and he started laughing. <laughs> they could have put him over, you know. He loved it. He went back upstairs and left me alone. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he looked at you and goes, eh, you're a fine young specimen. They got a nice big barrel oh, yeah. chest, <laughs> nice arms. <laughs> oh, he, you know, Stu, uh, he would let I would let him get me and stuff, and then then after he get me in it, he'd like crank it, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, he's like seventy five at the time, and I got a chew in my mouth, and he gets me in a hold, and I end up swallowing my chew. And, oh lord! Oh, oh, speaking of chew, you know where I'm going with this, right? Chewing tobacco. Mm-hmm. Who the hell? Who the hell spits chewing tobacco and stand the Larry oh, Hanson's yeah, cowboy boots? That was unreal, man. <laughs> 
and and you I'm know, I'm was, surprised he could even see. He's he's blind as a bat. I'm surprised he could he even see you do it. Yeah, you're right. But he come and sit sitting and watching big monitor, you know, for a TV in Atlanta in Channel 17. And uh, I sit down right in front of it. I'm sitting there watching, and Stan comes to get dressed. And I have a garbage can sitting right to my left, and I'm spitting in the garbage can, my tobacco, right? Yeah. Stan comes over, and I'm talking to somebody. He moves the garbage can, takes his cowboy boots off, and puts them right there. So I'm still walking. <laughs> I go back to watching TV. I'm just filling this boot up, not even. Oh, all shit. All of a sudden, me and him both noticed it at the same time. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to kill me, brother. So uh, you didn't end up having to work with him later that night. No, thank God. Thank yeah, God. no kidding, right? You remember? You remember this little side story? But uh, when you guys did Battle of the Belts uh, the night after the the hurricane down in Florida, yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, it was Hanson and Harley worked with the Road Warriors that night, and I was in the front row, and uh, yeah. Hanson, blind as a bat, comes swinging that cowbell and just whacked me right in the head with it. Oh Anyways, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh anyway, it's a little side story there. Yeah, Len, um and like I said, I, I, I bounce around here, but um I wanna go back to this story because this is great. You uh you had a run in with Neil Maskers. And, oh yeah, man, that was yeah, and he didn't wanna he didn't wanna uh he didn't want to do business, huh? No, sir buddy, we were in San Antonio for Blanchard, right? At the Hemisphere Arena. Big ass crowd and a lot of Latino people, right? Yeah. Tons. Of course, they didn't ever see Mill Maskers, but that just came in and they were giving me a push. I'd been there about two weeks. And so I guess Tully figured, well, they didn't go through instead of with Maskers, just going through was a big thing. Sure. And so I thought, no problem. And he, he sent word of, no, I don't do that. I win the match. I said, well, shit, son. Charlie's going, no. We argue back. He goes back and forth. Finally, I said, you know what? We'll just work it out out there. Okay, how about that? See if he can win the match. Yeah. Right? So, we, so, we go, so we go out there, and it goes to a 20-minute draw. But I was so blown up because at the end, I tried to get heat on him. Yeah. I, I hit him and hit him, and he won't sell. And I hit him. I threw him into the post. He just don't even sell it. He stops and posts me. But that was something. Out of my hand, it hits me back. He always worked like that. He never he he wasn't very uh very into selling. He was just waiting for his turn to uh, to get his shit in. Len, the kick the kicker was this: he do, he did some kind of give me some kind of bump, and he went down on the shoot trying to take my mask off. You can tell when it's uh, yeah. My brother, I came up from there, and I went to his, and I started trying to really tear it off. And I hope dude, he was squirming and went back. We were both so blown up we couldn't hold, yeah. hold our arms up because shit. And finally, the bell rang. with thank Lord. I got out of the ring, went on back to the dressing room. They didn't book me with him no more, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, come on. That, I mean, that's, look, when you go out there and, and you know, it's it's one thing when we're out there working together, but, like, when, when, when guys aren't cooperating with each other, oh, my God, about 100 times more energy is expelled, and uh, uh, yeah. and your tongue's on the ground in about two minutes or less. <laughs> if you're lucky, you last two minutes. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear you, buddy. Wow. 
There's a lot. It's we've had you for a long time here. There's still tons of stuff I'd like to ask. You guys want to ask? Him? Well, we have some fan questions. I got a few things to plug. When yeah. Oh, for sure. Definitely want to get to that. Uh, but well, you, yeah, I know you had your first, uh, you're doing this brand new one man show and you had your first one on Friday, right? How did it go? It's not my first one. It was Saturday at Harvey's Comedy Club. It's not the first one I've done, but it was a good show. Everybody seemed to enjoy it. I really enjoyed doing it, telling the stories because people really get into it. And, you know, um, I'm actually doing it again in Winnipeg. It's uh, February the 18th. I got a show. It's called The Legends of Wrestling. Paul Ondro's going to be there. Um, Steamboat's going to be there. A bunch of the guys. Uh, I'm going to be there signing autographs and pictures and all that and photo ops. And also, um, I'm doing the one man show there. And then um, in, the, in uh, Las Vegas at the Colorado Alley Club this year, uh, in the first week of May, I'm doing my show there as well. I, I secured that today, too. So. You'll get to see it if you're there, if you guys are at the Cauliflower Alley. I may even put Sean in it. Oh. <laughs> oh. definitely got it. Hey, He's going to tell stories as I am. Oh, oh yeah. But I'm, I'm sick of my own stories. I'm not sick of yours, Len. <laughs> we'll make us some new ones, brother. You know what's great, though? we got so many. I'll be talking to a guy like you, and all of a sudden it dawns on me. Another, I, get a new, I remember something else that happened on the road. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. God, there's so much more I want to talk about, and we just don't have time. Damn well, it, man. You know, if Lenny's down, we can always do this again real soon. Yes. Would you please come back on, Len? It's, it, well, that's a pleasure. It's been an honor. It's been an honor to talk to you. I just want to plug one more thing. Please. Um, the, um, let everybody know that uh, if, they, if they want to, get on my website, okay? And you can, they can buy T-shirts. They can buy the book. They, they figure out how to order the book there and then uh, that I'm selling. And then... There's uh you you can tap into the YouTube channel for West uh, WCWC West Coast uh, uh, Connection Wrestling Show that I work for and I help write and um, all the stuff's there on the website. Okay. <laughs> are you Great. Lenny? Are you writing lots of segments for your backstage interviewer for the shows this weekend? Oh man! <laughs> oh yeah, I got it hooked up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff, and people people that's can check that out. The grapplerlindenton.com. It's a new site he just set up for me. So, and the and the book is the Grappler uh, Memoirs of a Mask Madman. And I absolutely love this book. It, it's it's a fantastic read. I think anyone wrestling fan or not would enjoy it. It's we we read all the books for, for whoever comes on Lenny, but this one was really really enjoyable. I appreciate it, guys. And anytime you want me back, you just let me know. Please, because we, we didn't even touch on, like, you know, your relationship with Roddy. We barely, barely yeah. raised a surface on that. And there's so much, so many things uh, left oh, yeah. I want to talk about. You know, Devon Eriks, just, you know, all the stuff in Portland, the end of Portland. And, uh, you know, uh, just really, really want to have you back on, Len. Okay. Thank you, you so much. You're you're one of the greats, and uh, and I, I I really really look look forward to seeing you in person again soon. All right, Sean. Take care, and Christy. I'll see you Saturday. Absolutely, looking forward to it. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> take care. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. Cool. Oh wow! Gosh, I can't believe that we barely scratched the surface in sixty minutes. We really did. Yeah. And sorry, we didn't even get the fan questions in. I'm yes. sorry, the fans. It's okay. We'll save them for we'll next save time, them for guys. Next time. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And we will be right back on AfterBuzz TV with more X-Pac 12360. Thank you for tuning in to X-Pac 12360. We wanted to take this opportunity to remind you that if you wanted to book Sean X-Pac Waltman for your wrestling show, please send all serious inquiries to showbiz at AOL.com. When it comes to Sean X-Pac Waltman, we've got two words for you. Book him. Back to you in the studio. Thanks for coming back to hang out with us. We just chatted with Zach Gowan and Len the Grappler Denton, and oh boy, did we have a good combo. Yeah, it was great. I just, uh, you know, when when I started the interview, I didn't think I was going to... This is the first person we've interviewed that I was like a big fan of when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so I think it could you could tell... Absolutely, and that's a cool dynamic. Yeah, okay. I might not have been the smoothest, uh, you know, at delivering some of those questions, but uh, hey, it's real. Wow, that was great. I feel like that's that was one of our best. There's just so many things. There's just so many things. I have eleven, like I said, eleven pages pages of notes. Well, he's had a thirty-year career, and uh, I I only got about (laughs) half of them, so. We'll keep that. Yeah. We're going we're we're to put that, that back, back up off the floor for part two um, with the grappler, and we'll yeah. let you all know when that's going to go down. Hey, Christy. Yeah. Do we have some breaking news? We do have breaking news. This is oh, <laughs> happening right now, and this is confirmed by CNBC. Linda McMahon has been nominated by Donald Trump to serve as administrator of the Small Business Administration. So, yeah, administrator of the Small Business Administration. Lots of administration going down. A little bit, but, you know, Linda's ran for office twice before. She gave massive millions of dollars of donations to Donald Trump, and we've been speculating about this for quite a while here at AfterBuzz TV. You guys have heard all my reports, and now we know. This this is for sure. I just want to be clear now. Confirmed. Awesome. Yeah, congratulations, Linda. Linda. I just, you know, I know that... uh, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Linda McMahon is an amazing woman. She's an awesome human being. And uh, I look, people can be unhappy, or maybe that's not the right word to use, about uh, Mr. Trump uh, becoming president. Mm-hmm. But even if you don't like Donald Trump, you want some good people in his cabinet, you Absolutely. know, and in his administration. And Linda McMahon is a great person to be in your administration, in my opinion. I'm biased. I love Linda. So, okay. I love that. Congratulations, Linda. That's great. Well, you know, guys, we are always going to bring you the top breaking news headlines and these juicy interviews. Man, so much good stuff today. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Like, rate, and comment. We would love a five-star rating. Let us know what you think about the show. We are also on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash TV. If you are just listening to us, you can see our gorgeous faces, too. Tune in. We love that. And you can always hit me up at Christy Reports on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. I love to hear from you and I uh, love to give those juicy news tidbits. So you can always reach out to me for those. And check out the West Coast Wrestling Connection, Lenny's promotion at youtube.com slash the WCWC. He does the, he does the booking there and, yeah. and trains a lot of the guys. He has a school out of Portland, the Grapplers Pro Wrestling Academy. So make sure you check all that out. And while you're doing that, Follow Jimbo. Where can they do that, Jimbo? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Jimbo in the booth. Buy my documentary, The Young Bucks Two Sweet Journey, at highspots.com. Thanks to Zach Gowan. I brought my dad's fake leg in to show support for Jack, Zach Gowan. And 
How about you, Christy? Well, I forgot to tell everybody that they have got to follow us on Instagram at Instagram.com slash XPOC12360. And please also give us a thumbs up, Facebook.com slash XPOC12360 show. That's how we get you guys the pictures and the links and everything we talk about on the show and keep in touch with you throughout the week. And we'd love to do that. And I'm on Twitter at TheRealXPOC. My Instagram is just RealXPOC. And uh, thank you for tuning in this week to X-Pac 12360 right here on After Buzz TV. Good night, everybody, or good night. <laughs> <laughs> From executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, Kevin Undergaro, show producer Jimbo Frank, managing editor of After Buzz Wrestling, Christy Olson, and managing producer of After Buzz Wrestling, Mark Bidonica, and the entire X-Pac 12360 staff. We would like to thank you for tuning in. Feel free to like us on Facebook, rate and comment on iTunes and YouTube. Follow XPOC on Twitter at TheRealXPOC and email us at XPOC12360show at gmail.com. This has been a presentation of the AfterBuzz TV Network. Buzz you later!